0: Hey, everyone. Unfortunately, due to circumstances beyond our control with our recording system, the sound quality on this episode, especially with my track, is not up to our normal standards. I did what I could to salvage it, but it's not going to be quite as great a listening experience, so my apologies for that. But without further ado, here's our show. Because, like, the ones especially that inspired us, like 11th Company, Preferred Enemies... Or That's no, us. Good. That's us. We're still here. <laughs> and you uh, inspired yourself. I'm, I'm glad yeah, that I we do were able inspire. to inspire you, Rob. <laughs> yes. You guys are the wind beneath my wings.
1: Oh, uh, no. It just anyway. needs, since our our six inch bubble does include us. Yes. Yes, it does. <laughs>
0: Welcome to Preferred Enemies, the Warhammer 40k podcast that knows power comes from pain. I'm your host, Rob.
1: Kevin. Dennis. And Richard.
0: And with 2020 having, you know, come and gone, we are about as powerful as we can be. So, uh, but yes, (laughs) uh, today we are going to be looking at the brand new, and when I say brand new, it will be available on shelves uh, around the time you hear this, like just coming out, because we fortunately got a preview copy of Codex Drukhari. Uh, which, you know, it's been like an extra week since our last, last episode. So apologies for that. But yes, in that time, we had, uh, the pre orders go up for, uh, Codex Drukhari, and, or the pre orders announced and now they've come up and we have our co- copy in hand. And so we're going to go and take a look and see what the Dark Kin of the Eldar are up to these days. Uh, but first, as always, news, new releases and your listener mail. And uh, yes, it's we've actually had uh, a lot of news. Uh, we obviously there were the new releases uh, that are up for pre-order now, which includes the Piety and Pain box, and uh, the you know Codex Drukhari and the Codex or and, and the Drukhari Combat Patrol, which I want to say we briefly touched on last episode because they had like announced what it was going to be.
1: Yeah, I think we just, like, mentioned that it's out there and, like, what's in it, but, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and the nice thing that they did highlight is the combat patrol is all about um, the cabals, while the um, witch cult is what's in the piety and pain. So they said if you put the mm-hmm. two together, you've got two of the three factions. Well, divisions. I don't know all how to right. called it <laughs> right now. The obsessions? Uh, yeah, I guess obsessions. Obsessions by Drakari oh man that's bad I approve
0: (laughs) (laughs) obsessions by Calvin Spine (laughs) oh that's also bad
1: (laughs) we're on a roll and we just got started
0: yeah But uh, we also have the first of the new campaign books, the Warzone Cheridon Act One, the Book of Rust, is now available for pre-order. And we do have a copy of that in hand, but we're going to focus on Codex Drukari today. So we'll get to that in a a future episode. And we just got these books like a day or two ago. So I'd like to, like, especially with the campaign book, I really want to read through the fiction of that because that, that is such a key part of those and, like, what story they're mm-hmm. telling. The Crusade Mission Pack Plague Purge is also up for pre-order this week, which I'm looking forward to that because I, I really... Once we can start playing again, I really want to do uh, Crusade play. And since I have a Death Guard army, uh, it would I think this one will be fun to play around with. And so, yeah, that's all up for pre-order. And then I'm actually kind of glad we held off a week because... Yesterday, we got a uh, another online preview, which this time included Warhammer 40k stuff. Uh, I'm going to skip through the Age of Sigmar stuff, although it does look really cool. They're kind of bringing back some of the old school undead, but with new models, mm-hmm. which looks really nice. And then a brief stop in Necr- Necromunda for the uh, the Redemptionists, yeah, which are like Imperial cultists. My ha- my hat is on fire. Your argument is irrelevant. <laughs> and a new two uh two player starter set for necromunda that had like it's kind of like a smaller scale but it has two full gangs and some of the zone mortalis terrain like the the walls and corners and such so uh that'll be a good one for people who are wanting to get into necromunda and apparently it's going to be less expensive than the previous starter sets they've had so that's cool oh that'll be nice yeah but let's get into the actual 40k stuff. First of all, we're getting a new uh, Mechanicus character, and finally a Skatari character, which is a nice <laughs> change of pace. I, I really dig the the styling of the Skatari Marshal. Yeah, it's just kind of nice to not have like because I think their only HQ options were uh, were all Tech Priests, so it's nice to have something that's just different. Mm-hmm. And it just it creates more variety in list builds, which is always nice. And then that will be featured in the upcoming Codex Adeptus Mechanicus, which is confirmed. I don't know if it is the... I'm assuming it's the next Codex, because it's the only one that's been announced since Drukari. Mm-hmm.
1: Right. I, I think you're right, even though I had the thoughts that it would, was going to be Sisters next since they were in the box with Drukhari. Well,
0: we're sp- speaking of Sisters... We're we are getting more sister stuff, but I do want to talk briefly about the Mechanicus. One thing they did specify in the preview was that they are getting a lot of their weaponry upgraded to be on par, if not better than what the other Imperium armies are getting, like specifically mentioning that they being the Mechanicus, they keep the best weaponry to themselves.
1: Mm -hmm. Which that just makes sense.
0: But anyway, uh, moving on to yeah, Sisters of Battle are also getting some new toys. Specifically, the Castigator tank, which yeah. I think looks awesome.
1: I actually do too. Because they think basically you a-, a phrase for it.
0: Yes, it's that a Lehman Russ and a Predator had a baby and sent it to Catholic school. Because uh, <laughs> I mean, it's it it's basically a Predator body and turret. I mean, it it looks like a, a Space Marine Predator, but yeah. the Cannon on it looks like like a cannon off of one of the Lehman Russ variants. And they also have an autocannon variant, which also looks like a Lehman Russ cannon tank. Mm-hmm. It's got triple heavy bolters, because two of them are on sponsons, and one is the front-mounted heavy bolter that all sisters tanks seem to have now. Mm-hmm. And it just it just looks awesome. It's a nice yeah. addition to the uh to their army. Just to give them more tank options. Well, it looks like it's riding on that um that new Rhino, like, Exorcist emulator chassis, because, like, it, mm. it's, it's the Rhino chassis, but it's sistered up, and mm. it's, it's a little bit lower, because, like, to kind of, like, signify the weight of the weaponry on top and stuff, and it just really looks really ornate, it has really cool, like, you know, flame, uh, exhaust pipes, you know, and, like, church, de- like, it's just, it's really cool, I, I'm just, I'm really glad, uh, that they're adding
1: more, like, Weapons and options to that because I think it's a really really cool looking base kit. I'll agree. I mean, I as people probably have heard, I've started building a sister's army. It was going to be fly like a lot of tiny flying units, (laughs) but this tank, well, and their other tanks, makes me contemplate if I go because I was shooting for a thousand. But if I go two thousand, do I start adding in the tanks? Because I would think tanks all look really really good, and I'm assuming heavy firepower is never a bad thing to have either.
0: Yeah, especially as you get into larger games, because you're not really going to need, you're not really going to need like a lot of heavy, heavy firepower at a thousand points. But when you get up to that full two thousand points, you're going to run into armor that you need to, to be able to shoot at, you know, and and be able to pump out high damage and high rates of fire. So,
1: so I'll probably wait till I see the codex to get the heavy art or the heavy things, and just keep the thousand points as yeah. it is now. No, that's fair
0: because. Because, like, up until now, sisters have had, like, you've got the Exorcist and then you've got Melta weapons, but Melta weapons require you to get relatively close before they're fully effective, and having having a, a ranged anti-armor option is yeah. really nice. One of, the, one of the things that's kind of interesting to me, and, like, this is all spitballing for a codex that isn't anywhere near being released yet, but it makes me wonder if this is going to kind of change the Exorcist's role a little bit. Because the Exorcist has those two weapon options with, like, the missiles, where, like, the heavy missiles and then the anti-infantry missiles. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. I wonder if this moves the Exorcist more into that anti-infantry role, and then this takes out your kind of – your anti-armor role. I don't know. It just – is interesting, because I know – I could see the Exorcist conflagration missiles being a a much more viable option now. Yeah, because, like, before, the Exorcist was really your only long-range heavy weapon – so you kind of had to take the heavy missiles just to have any any sort of range. But now that you have this option, I wonder if you're going to see more of the conflagration missiles, like you said, and see that as more of slide into more of an anti infantry role. I don't know; it's just interesting. And, and with the triple, uh, and with the triple heavy bolters, I think yeah this this is also a very flexible choice because it'll pump out a lot of anti infantry daca, especially like against mm-hmm. elites. Yeah. And then if you take the autocannon option on the turret, like you could you could basically make this an anti vehicle tank or an anti elite tank, or at least something that's good at maybe like taking out lighter vehicles. Yeah. No, it's a good option. It's a good it it fills a gap that they have. And then finally, I think an option that or a new uh a new set of releases, at least ones teased that makes Richard very happy. Oh yeah. The the beast snaggers. <laughs> yep. <laughs> like- We're finally gonna get some uh good updated feral orc models riding squigs yep the squig hog oh boy, boy. <laughs> which looks like something out of horizon zero dawn with the uh, like the white armor plating that's been looted off of other things yeah, yeah. that is true with the paint <laughs> yeah that paint scheme yeah <laughs> <laughs> which i'm here for it oh for sure, sure. And I've already seen, like, I've seen a couple of people, like, trying to say, like, oh, this, how do we get this after Gasgull? This looks stupid. And, like, everybody popped up in the comment threads, like, have you never heard of snakebite orcs? Have you never heard of feral orc boys? Sh- sit down and shut up. <laughs> this is awesome. Yep. But, yeah, so we're going to get to see, uh, see some, uh, s- squig riders heading into, uh, 40K, which it's about time. Yeah. So.
2: I-, I imagine there's going to be at least, Two or three, like, you know, of these Beast Nagite units in addition to the Squig Riders.
0: Oh, yeah. And uh, imagine we're going to get, uh, uh, We're you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see an up, update that, like, kind of brings the squigiths into, like, into this, like, keyword-wise. Oh, yeah. That'd be cool. That would be. And relevant to your interests right now. So <laughs> Yes, since I, <laughs> I actually just got a squigith. So yeah, there's just some really cool stuff coming down the pipe that uh, I I'm excited to see. Like the sisters I, I like I'm interested to see what they do with Mechanicus. I'm really excited to see how the sisters model line is gonna shape up because like now we've we've converted everything over. Now we're starting to add the new stuff. They added a little bit new stuff in when the codex first came out, because we had like we had like Judith and her flying pulpit and the Triumph of St. Catherine. We had Zephyr, Zephyrim, but Zephyrim were still just like kind of a variant of Seraphim. So, like, we weren't seeing a lot of new stuff. We saw like the Mortifiers, but they're just like variations on Penitent engines. Right. Now we're starting to see some new stuff because, like, between like the new battle suit and the Castigator tank, uh, w- like, this army is now going to be. More fleshed out than it's ever been, and I think that's really that's really exciting. And then, yeah, feral orcs is just fun, <laughs> and which is what orcs should all be about. So,
1: yep. I just have my one concern with Adeptus Mechanicus. What's that? And that's that's the curse of the AM. Since we don't have Adeptus Mechanicus, just like we don't have astromilitarum. Militarum. Okay,
0: so technically, <laughs> I have enough models of from Adeptus okay. Mechanicus I could probably make
1: a small patrol. So, so you're a Mechanicus guy now.
0: i don't have any of them built (laughs) like i have the rem, i have like enough Skatari models i have a tech pre-stomp because i have like leftovers from our raffle army that i just haven't assembled yet well what if what if i were to tell you that uh you have plenty of free time for a while still (laughs) (laughs) yeah And and Dennis, I know you have a water damaged box of Castellans you're not using.
1: <laughs> I was going to put it, well, at least one together cuz they look really awesome.
0: And I have like the Kill Team cuz like I bought the Kill Team cuz it had some like the Sector Fronteras terrain. Mm-hmm. So I've got like the Tech Priest Manipulus and a unit of like the Rust Stalkers. So it's like I have the pieces to put together a Skatari army. Or to start to. I just haven't built it because, like, oh, my God, I don't need another army project. But they're but, also but sitting the there and I haven't of the year. sold them.
1: The theme of the year I, from Games Workshop was New Year, New Army, right? Yeah.
0: I, I, <laughs> but I've, I've, got, I've got, like, two armies still. Like, I've got my Blood Angels built. And, and i that was the one you're going to work on next. And I, I'm painting <laughs> my Daughters of Cain right now. And I still have to rebase all my sisters onto 32 mils. So it's like, I have like army projects. I don't, I don't need another project. I know (laughs) we're just teasing, (laughs) but I also do because I'm a bad person with a weakness. So yeah, uh, anyway. (laughs) Uh, uh, So yeah, that we've just got some neat stuff coming down the pipe. Uh, However, uh, In addition to the good news yesterday of all these previews, we did get some bad news at the end of the day. And this is in the 40K podcast sphere. Carl Tuttle is ending the independent characters. Yep,
1: For good or just a break? Uh, He,
0: he's, well, he doesn't want to say that it's going to be, like he said, he could bring it back later. But he basically, like, a a couple years ago, he ended it. He basically put it on indefinite hiatus. And then, like, brought it back. But between not being able to play with people because of COVID, and I guess he got a new job, which has been taken, a- which has had a lot of responsibility and has eaten up a lot of his time. And he's also trying to make sure he has time for his family. He's just like, I just don't have the time and energy to pour into it anymore.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think all of us can relate in one way or another to some of that. I want to play games again.
0: But he he said he's going to, tr- like, once he can get a couple of people together to record with, he's going to do, like, w- a farewell episode. And then uh, possibly, like, sh- like he's shutting down their Patreon, sh- possibly shutting down their Discord, or they, he might just kind of leave it grandfathered open to the people who had already signed up. They're going to leave the Facebook community up because that's just been a – just kind of a good pe- place for people to meet and discuss things. But the podcast itself is – is going to be retired and, uh, you know,
1: I'm kind of sad.
0: I am sad. Yeah. The, you know, yeah. independent characters was one of the shows that inspired me to want to kick off preferred enemies. And I think at this point, all the shows that were around at the time that we started have all, have all pretty much gone away. Like, but a lot of the podcasts that inspired us, 11th Company, independent characters, Dice Like Thunder, uh, which then became the Eternal Warriors, uh, you know, a lot of those are, they're gone. You know, uh, yeah. 40k radio came and gone under a couple of different variations. But yeah, the like the old guard of 40k podcasts have all, you know, they're, they're gone now. And it's, it, uh, you know, there's no lack of 40k podcasts. There's been a lot of new ones that have popped up. And so, the genre is as strong as it ever has been, but it's still you know it's a, it's a passing of, of the torch type moment, you yeah, know? so yeah, it is sad to see, but I also totally understand the idea of i I just don't have the ban- mental bandwidth to to continue doing it, so
1: or the actual time.
0: Yeah, so you know, our our farewell to to Carl, and thank you for for the many 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 hours of podcast and you know listening and entertainment and discussion, and the chance to make fun of you for buying so much Forge World stuff because you know <laughs> that will never get old to me. But yeah, end of an era, end of an era. We are I at this point we are one of the like I don't know if we're the we're one of the oldest podcasts remaining at. Especially with this being our tenth year, so yeah, it's it's kind of a it's a weird place to be where the rest of the club is no longer there. Well, the good thing is we don't know when to leave the party, so we're going to be around forever. Also, the show is kind of low effort for most of us. <laughs> we never know when to quit. Rob does all the work, t- is what I'm is saying. this too much. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, that' too much. I never know. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. So uh, that that is the the end of an era, but. As far as I know, we're not planning on going anywhere anytime soon, so... Yeah. We'll still be here. I plan on on logging into the recording session every two weeks, and if other people show up, then yeah, I'll talk. (laughs) (laughs) If other people didn't show up, you'd still talk. Yeah. A new set of Kevin Solo episodes. (laughs) (laughs) Watch the listenership go through the roof. (laughs) Well, here's the funny thing. You do everything, so I have no idea how I would even (laughs) record it, so, you know... (laughs) That's not entirely true. I recorded that. I recorded a couple solo episodes. I was gonna say you've done this before. Yeah, but it's way funnier to the audience like you, if you do all the work and we're just we're <laughs> and the three of us are just like leeching off of your energy. <laughs> oh. At least it's funnier to me, anyway. <laughs> I feel like that guy at the end of Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. <laughs> I've chosen poorly. <laughs> hey, you, you're the ones who asked I me to come. You. You're the ones who asked me to be here, so that's your, that's on you. That is true. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I enjoy doing it and I've got I've got plenty plenty of energy left in me to keep uh, keep recording for a while. So I have shelves I, and shelves of unpainted yeah, models, so I ain't I ain't out of this anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> ah. So on that note, let's move over to some listener mail. <laughs> <laughs> And one of the reasons we can continue is we have content from our listeners. Woo-hoo. As always, these letters are, are written by you, the listeners. And if you want to know how to get your letter read on the air, we'll tell you how at the end of the segment. So first off, we've got a letter from Wade Trezise. And Wade writes, uh, G'day, mates, from down under. And that's probably, I've probably insulted her entire <laughs> Australian <laughs> listenership. <laughs> <laughs> Oof. Oof. <laughs> that was a little thick. <laughs> a little thick. The views and opinions expressed by Rob are not indicative of the rest of the hosts of the show. <laughs> I, I'm I sure all like of us could do a bad out, I would like to point out we haven't received any hate mail from guard <laughs> players for our last episode. So I I think we're doing okay. That's all fair. Right, so, hey, he wrote, okay, he wrote "Good day, mates. There's only okay, one that's voice fair to too. read that in. <laughs>
1: Okay. Uh. So,
0: moving on, I I have said the salutation <laughs> in its native form and I shall move forward. <laughs> From, uh, my son and I have just started to play Warhammer. I heard you mention an airbrush recommended by Alex. This was in episode 182, I think. That episode is no longer available, unfortunately. Could you please tell me the name of the compressor and airbrush? Enjoying your show and the banter amongst you guys. Thanks in advance, Wade and Dev. <laughs> uh, so, uh, first off, I will say, if you can't find our episodes on iTunes, because up until today, I, I adjusted it today, but uh, up until now... Basically, our f- our podcast feed only shows the fifty most recent episodes. I've upped it to one hundred, so we had just reached the point because, like, this is episode two thirty four, so that episode would have just fallen off the queue. But uh, I've expanded it to a hundred, so that episode should show back up. But uh, if you ever can't find one of our older episodes, they are all available on our website, so you can yep. just find that episode. And uh, listen to it entirely. There you can da- or download it. Uh, but in that episode, uh, yeah, Alex Hunt, our friend and hobby expert, hobby guru, uh, listed a number of uh, airbrushes and and then there was one uh, airbrushing compressor set in specific. Uh the set he was talking about is the uh Master's Airbrush G222. Uh and Amazon has a number of bundles of those with a compressor either with or without a tank. So it's about like $95 if you get mm-hmm. the compressor without a tank and about 130-140 if you get it with the tank. Uh but and there's actually a link in the show notes on that episode to that particular product on Amazon. So but yeah, that's the Master's Airbrush G222. Now, as far as other airbrushes that were mentioned in that episode, there was the uh, Iwata HPC, uh, the Badger Patriot 105, and Alex's airbrush of choice, the Harder and Steenbeck Evolution AL+. Plus. That's the one he w- – that's his favorite, the one he was using at the mm-hmm. time. Uh So – I have. Uh, I have. We the, need to get Alex on for another episode. Yeah, we <laughs> do. I have the Harder and Steenback Evolution as well, and I love that airbrush. It is also ha- much higher end and much more expensive than the other options. So if you're just starting, oh out yeah, airbrush, two fifty. Yeah, it's like 250 yeah, or it's, like it's two fifty at least. Um, if you are starting out, I would recommend the Iwata or the Patriot. The Patriot is a well made, like just workhorse of an airbrush. And it's going to last you a while, and I would highly, highly recommend starting with one of those. Um, I, I wouldn't recommend starting with one of like the cheap like master airbrushes that you could also see on Amazon, because if you start with like a twenty dollar airbrush, it's not going to work well, and you're not going to enjoy it, and you're not going to proceed with using an airbrush. But if you spend the hundred or hundred and twenty dollars for like the Patriot. It's a good enough airbrush that you'll be able to get a lot of work done with it. You'll really be able to get a feel for it. And then if you decide that you want to take it to the next level, then the Patriot still has a use for like workhorse stuff. And then you can get the Harder and Steenback for detail projects and other things as you kind of find your own your own path and your own style for using the airbrush. Yeah, like he he specifically mentioned like with the Harder and Steinbeck uh like it can do like pencil thin lines mm-hmm. and things like that. If you're doing like really fine airbrushing, but if you're also just mostly using it for like base coating and doing like 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 Xenofall like highlighting, shading, yeah, a Patriot or an Iwata, like the Iwata or Badger going to be just fine. I have a Badger Renegade Chrome mm-hmm. and it does you know, it it does really good work. It's got a couple of different needles. And also during that episode Alex point out that a lot of times the difference between the the higher end and lower end airbrushes is like the higher end will sometimes have better engineering. So like there might be fewer parts to take apart. Like things Mm -hmm. might be, you know, they're, they're, they're easier to, to work with, but they're also, there's a higher skill level on learning to use it appropriately because a lot of times they'll have finer tips, which means some paints will clog more than others. Things like, you know, just things like that to be aware of. But yeah, starting with like an Iwata or a Badger, is definitely a a really good way to go. Yeah. But uh, as far as getting a compressor, like getting one of those the the master bundles with like the the tank air compressor, yeah, is a, is a really good way to start. Also, and a lot of the uh like <clears throat> the the original airbrush I got like back when I first got uh, one of those master sets, it was like a cheapy posh uh like siphon fed. Air, airbrush and uh, i do not use that one anymore siphon fed is just yeah no fun but uh the newer ones do actually include like use a gravity fed uh airbrush so uh they're not a bad place to start with especially if you're just trying to get like bait like doing base coats and things like that mm-hmm. but yeah moving up to the water badger is a, is a good like beginning step beyond that yeah Um, As far as the the compressor, um, because I think we've linked to the one in the show notes that that has the uh, uh, tank with it. It really doesn't matter if you get a tankless or a tank compressor at this point because all compressors are good enough that they're mostly quiet enough now that it's not really going to matter. Like you're not really... It's not really that much of a big deal, a difference. The big thing with the tank is if you're in an area with a lot of humidity, having the tank will keep that humidity out of the line and keep it out of the compressor itself. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the big thing. I like having the compressor, just uh, the the tank on the compressor, because when I bought it, I think it was only like 10 or 20 bucks more. And it's just nice to have it. Um, but you you can go with the tankless comp- compressor, um In most cases, if you're in an area that's not like super humid or if you're in, you know, in a well air conditioned place when you're using it, like it's it's really just kind of to taste at that point with the compressor. Yeah, because that's the other thing about having the tank is it means the compressor doesn't have to run as often, which means the compressor runs cooler Mm -hmm. because otherwise, like I've seen general recommendations like don't like don't run the compressor for more than like 15 minutes at a time. Just because you don't want it to overheat and the the get damaged, so just kind of space out like don't like you it doesn't mean you can only airbrush fifteen minutes at a time, but don't do like fifteen minutes of straight airbrushing yeah. and running the <laughs> compressor, just yeah. But they they do get they do get warm. So having the tank where it just kind of refills, you know, pressurizes the tank, and then you can run off the tank for a long while before yeah. you notice any pressure drop in the, and then the compressor will kick in and yeah. fill it up.
1: I, yeah, I was about to say when I use mine because I only mostly use it for base coating. Um, yeah, it will turn on for like fifteen twenty seconds and then turn off again. Yeah, yeah. So I'm not worried about the fifteen minutes or getting hot because it hasn't even come close to any of that. Yeah,
0: I, I have one. I have one with the tank and I love it because yeah, it's the same thing where it, it runs for a few seconds, it fills the tank and then I can paint off the tank for a while and then it, and it just, it'll save the compressor somewhere and tear on the compressor. Um, but I don't know that it, I don't know that it makes like a huge, huge difference. But yeah, I, I like if you're doing, working on like details on a lot of models in a row, that's where you'll want to pace yourself. So that that's one where having a tank would be really useful mm-hmm. so cuz you could work for for a long while without any issues. But yeah, you can uh yeah, those those would be our recommendations and those those are based off of what Alex recommended in that episode. And like I said, I think we need to see if we can get Alex on for another episode and see how what he's been doing over the last year of right. you know, being stuck at home with like, you know, like the rest of us. Exactly. Next up is from Matt at Peelin Paint, and the reason I have that is because that's all the name I have for him. But Matt writes, "Hi Robinall, I hate for my first email to you guys to be a correction, but I've heard the Doomstalker <laughs> Reanimator dual kit comment a few times, and as someone who has two of both, I felt like speaking up. Pardon the work in progress picture below; neither is close to complete, but I wanted to show what I was talking about. The Doomstalker is a gloriously large model; the Reanimator, not so much." And I'm glad he included this picture because I yeah. did not like obviously we haven't gotten a chance to play a lot of games and I don't play Necron, so I had not seen the Doomstalker in the flesh. Yeah. So well, and like, or I guess in the metal. It's been because of like COVID and like the production lines with the Necrons, especially, there are like five or six new models in that range that I have just never seen. Like I've never seen a Hexmark Destroyer, the Doomstalker, either of the new Crypt, like the new uh, Psychomancer, or um there's one other character, I think, that like they put out that. Of the Chronomancer that they yeah, just that released. Yeah, that they've just yeah. released that like I haven't seen because I can't find them anywhere. Um So yeah, this is a really good reference because I did not realize the Doomstalker was that much bigger. Yeah, so I looked on the yeah. Games Workshop website. It's on a 90 mil base, whereas the reanimator is on a 60 yeah.
1: mil. I think that's a slight difference. <laughs>
0: just just slightly. Uh, he continues, I fear if it was a dual kit, the Doomstalker would be small like the reanimator. I picked up Necrons since I've been eyeing them since 4th, but I never picked them up because I don't buy armies, people... I play with have and Indominus gave me the opportunity to start a new army. And I love how the models look. I managed to pick up a second Necron half on the cheap and supplemented with a few items. It's good. I, I did so because single wound chaos, Marines and Tau suck in ninth. Preach, bro. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> while I've while I've been playing for about twenty years, I don't yet have a single good list. I play Tau since third edition, <laughs> generic Space Marines or generic Chaos Marines since fourth, Thousand Sons since fifth when there were options in the Marine Codex, and now Necrons. The reason I say I don't have a single good list is because I build my armies for flavor and sex appeal. The Reanimator is a beautiful model, which is the bigger reason why I have two than the fact that they are amazing in game. As such, I don't have any Zangors in my sons because they aren't dusty Spaceman, and now i regrettably threw out the drones that came with my towel when i first built the army because i love the appeal my army has visually and with the lore anyway this has been a long conv- convoluted way of saying they aren't a dual kit because they aren't the same size and i'm happy because the doom stalker is beautiful with that said the price on those small selection of models is ridiculous <laughs> especially when the whole half of Indomitus is still going for 80 bucks on ebay I love the show, and contrary to the way the email sounds, I value all of your opinions on the game. Keep up the great work you guys are doing. Thanks, Matt. <laughs> well, thank you, Matt, and yeah, thanks yeah. for actually showing us how this model looks, because I would have just looked at the aesthetics of the two, because they are very similar in design. Yeah. And... Like when they showed like pictures of like the armies, it's like sometimes you you can't tell like when they have Scale. one model further back than the other that like yeah they they look roughly the same size. It's like oh yeah the Doom Stalker looks bigger because it's got the big ass death ray strapped to the top. It's like no, its legs are actually taller and it's on a wider base and yeah. So I really appreciate having that image for reference to to
1: see and we don't what mind being corrected.
0: Is. No, not at yeah. all. We we screw things up all the time and I'm. Uh, while i said we haven't received any hate mail from guard players for the last episode i'm waiting <laughs> right <laughs> I'm waiting for the daily yeah <laughs> yeah
2: I, seeing this like i i wasn't really i i hadn't really thought about cuz i have one of the the reanimators and because of that i hadn't really been thinking of getting a doomstalker but seeing this and seeing that it's that it's bigger, and and is really a different model, I am I would be more inclined to pick one up. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and as as we pointed out that in that episode, they are an easy build kit technically. Which for a model that big and intricate, that's really impressive. That that's an easy build kit. Yeah. <laughs> All right, on our final. Emails from Charlie Baxter and Charlie writes, Hi, Preferred Enemies. I love the show. Keep up the good work. Thank you, Charlie. Uh, I was hoping you gents could cast your eyes over a Death Watch list I'm currently building to and let me know if you would make any improvements. I have completed just over a 1,000 points so far from the Combat Patrol box, plus a few extras, and I'm now looking to push it to 2,000 points, ready for gaming to be a thing again here in the UK, hopefully in the not-too-distant future, pandemic-allowing. My local gaming group is a friendly, casual, competitive affair, so this isn't a tournament list, but just looking to give myself a good chance of success without causing the feel bads for my opponents, so no 18 Eradicators." (laughs) I have previously collected a Dark Angels army for 8th edition, but with the newer Primaris units, I was itching to do a second Space Marine Force focusing on the big boys. So everything in my army needs to either be Primaris or easy Primaris-sized conversions. I have attached a picture of my Vanguard vets made with Assault Intercessor bodies. Uh, currently, I own the Death Watch com- Combat Patrol, a chaplain on a bike, 10 Vanguard vets, the heavy intercessors from the Kill Team box, and a Primaris Captain with Power Sword. Between the Space Marine Codex and the Death Watch supplement, I'm a little overwhelmed with all the po- all the available Warlord traits and relics, so they may need a <laughs> shuffle, but this is what I'm thinking so far. So he has a Deathwatch, uh, a single Death Watch battalion. He took the extra relic uh, the and the Sanction of the Black Vault stratagem. Uh, let's see. He he has a Primaris lieutenant with a mastercrafted power sword and bolt pistol. The captain with a mastercrafted power sword, and that's his warlord with the uh, Paragon of their chapter, Ultramarines, adept of the Codex, as his warlord trait. Um, Primaris Ca- chaplain on a bike, a Fortis kill team with an intercessor Tra- sergeant, four intercessors with bolt rifles, and five outriders. An Indomitor kill team with four Eradicators with melter rifles, a Heavy Intercessor Sergeant with a Heavy Bolt rifle, three Heavy Intercessors with Heavy Bolt rifles, a Heavy Intercessor with a Heavy Bolter, and an Inceptor with Plasma Exterminators. Uh, A five-man Intercessor squad with Stalker Bolt rifles. Then an Aggressor squad with Flamestorm Gauntlets, a Company Champion, a Primaris Apothecary, a Redemptor Dread with the Heavy Onslaught Gatling Cannon, and the regular Onslaught Gatling Cannon. Uh, a vanguard vet squadron with uh, two storm shields and chain swords, two thunder hammers. Okay, there's okay, three storm shields and, and chain sword, two with thunder hammers, four lightning claws, and then a sergeant with a heavy thunder hammer, and then a whirlwind for his heavy support. The general battle plan is the Indometer Kill Team forms a battle pile with Captain, Apothecary, and Lieutenant and walk to the middle of the board for an objective or to do the Oath of Moment secondary whilst pumping out maximum shooting damage. The Outriders combat squad shoot off to take fur- further away objectives and the Dreadnought and remaining Intercessors take closer objectives or look to take enemy units off their objectives, supported by the company champ with- for his invulnerable save aura. I can use the special issue ammunition strat on the Stalker Bolter team for some extra utility if needed. Turn two, chaplain races up and uses the Beacon Angelus to teleport the aggressors in to clear Chaff and create a path for the vanguard vets to deep strike with plus two to the charge. The vets should be able to take on any big threats in their close with their close combat punch. I figure the five damage thunder hammer on the sergeant should handle most things. And the option of using Brotherhood of Veterans stratagem to make them either blood angels or space wolves, depending on whether a plus one to hit or plus one to wound, is more beneficial. Meanwhile, the whirlwind just sits back on a home objective and uses the stratagem to make an enemy combat threat fight last, possibly something fast, charging my Indometer brick or a monster or character that my vanguard vets want to go into so questions one the combat patrol box came with a lieutenant which is why he's in the list but would a similarly priced hq be better i'm considering a librarian or even inquisitor for some psychic potential am, although i am tight for points two what other warlord traits and relics are worth looking at i can add another with stratagems if the chaplain would benefit or shuffle these around Although I gather the chief apothecary and selfless healer is a bit of a must take from all the marine battle reports I've seen. And third, as a modeling question, are there any ideas to make a Primaris Whirlwind? I was looking at maybe mounting the missile launcher turret on one of the new Primaris grav tanks as an upscaled option, although it gets expensive quickly, or alternatively trying to add grav plates to the existing Rhino chassis to make it float. Any other options you can think of? Just how much bigger is the Impulsor compared to the Rhino? Thanks for reading my ramble. Keep well. Charlie from Cheltenham, England. Um, On that last one, the modeling question, I... Like I don't know if you could really put a whirlwind turret on a Primaris grav tank and have the scale be yeah. right, because the, the Rhino body, I think, is still smaller than like even the, uh, the Impulsor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, yeah, it definitely is going to be smaller. Yeah, the Impulsor... Okay, so it looks like the Impulsor's a little bit wider than the Rhino, but more importantly it's a little bit longer. So, what... What might work, and and again, I'm just spitballing because I I don't know if this is actually um viable or not. But the um Hammerfall bunker has uh the primary Hammerfall bunker has that basically whirlwind missile launcher like bit on top of it. You could probably make that fit on one of the uh Impulsor on top of like the Impulsor chassis because there's basically on on the Impulsor. There's a, like, area in the back where there's a small weapon. You could maybe replace that and put the Whirlwind Missile Launcher on that and make it a Primaris Whirlwind. I have no idea how that would look or what that would – uh or how much that would cost. That's probably incredibly expensive. But that's mm-hmm. kind of the only option I would think of right now because I don't I, – I'm looking at some of the other, like, Whirlwind Missile Launcher kits from, like, Forge World and some other places. and They don't – none of them, I don't think, have the right scale. Uh-huh and i and i don't know i mean it's possible i guess that maybe you could do grav plates on a rhino and make it look good but i don't i don't know how to, i don't have any ideas on how to do that <laughs> yeah i mean i imagine you could try up a- using the impulser grav plates although like i said it'd be like the front plates might be a little tricky but theoretically doable the other thing about it is just like being a grav tank, the rules, like if you try to use a grav tank body, the rules are going to be a little mm. bit wonky because of like the, like with the base and everything, which does project a little bit further outside the hull. Not so much that it might be a big issue, but, and this is for a casually competitive friendly play group, so it probably wouldn't be that big an issue. Okay, so actually, um, just kind of Googling around, I just found... It's the I just w- found on Shapeways, there are a, there is a hover, uh, hover rhinoceros conversion kit because, of course, they can't use the GW dames. Um, that is basically like a 3D printed part that replaces the, um, the tank tracks on a rhino with the hover plates. Um, it's $41, uh, US, at least the one I'm looking at right now. So there, there are potentially like conversion bits out there to, convert a rhino into a grav tank and then at that point you could just have your whirlwind and just replace the tracks with that as well. Yeah, that would that would be fine. And like I said, looking at it like the impulser is not amazingly larger than the rhino, but it is a, it's a little bit taller, it's definitely longer. So yeah, I think I would be better with trying to to do grav plates on basically put grav plates on a whirlwind rather than trying to Mount a whirlwind launcher onto a, a Primaris stack yeah. just you know, just for for, for size. Because if it's yeah. just aesthetic, as opposed to uh, like, then then it's you know, uh, yeah, I'd be worried about it in theoretically impacting gameplay. So, but let's see. Other than yeah, but like getting to the actual like army build issues. A librarian over a lieutenant. I mean, the lieutenant's going to be useful with the way he's doing the battle pile because that's going to give you mm-hmm. that uh, re-roll to wound, which will be really nice. Yeah, um, I think that's useful. Like, but librarians are are, are really yeah, good too. It's the 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 lieutenant's going to be useful for re-rolling wounds. The the librarian is going to be a little more flexible. And it's still going to be valuable to that because being able to cast psychic powers and all that stuff. So it's really kind of, I think that's really kind of just flavor to taste. Like what, what you prefer, uh, you know, the, the re-rolling on the wounds, which is in and of itself is great or the flexibility of having a librarian. The one thing that kind of stuck out to me as I was looking through this list is on the Indometer kill team, the one in Scepter with plasma executioners. And I get why they're there because they're good weapons. But unless you're going to keep that squad together and not combat squat them, which maybe that's the case, it's like you're, you're going to move them all as one. I don't really know where that Inceptor goes. Like, I don't really know how he kind of fits with that unit. I would almost rather take another, um, uh, another Eradicator and then split it into two squads, uh, a squad of Eradicators and a squad of heavy, heavy Intercessors so that your Eradicators can go hunt heavy armor and then your heavy intercessors can set on objectives. Yeah, yeah, I think that- And that might save you some points. Like I don't have the that list pulled be- up right now in, in Battlescribe, but I think what's, the I think a heavy that- I think an Eradicator is going to be cheaper than an Inceptor with two plasma incinerators. Or executioners. Exterminators. Let's see. Whatever they're called. An Eradicator. <laughs> so an Erad an eradicator is forty five points a model. The Inceptor is 45 points a model, but the Plasma Exterminators are five points each, and it's got two of them, so... So, I mean... You'd save, actually, probably 10 points. So, if you wanted to switch your librarian for... your lieutenant for a librarian, which is 10 to 15 points more, again, I don't have... I should... I'm not prepared. (laughs) It's uh, 20. It's It's actually 20. So, that's that's a way to save 10 points, and you find it... and you have five... uh, four points... In the list, so if you can find another place to save six points, then you could swap out your lieutenant for a librarian if you wanted to. Um, or like I said, I would probably switch out the Inceptor for another Eradicator just to go five and five, and then that's 10 points to play with throughout the rest of the army, yeah. But and like I said, I think I do think the librarian gives you more flexibility and it gives you psychic defense, which is something that this army lacks otherwise, mm-hmm. so. Uh, I think, and I think a librarian's a better fit for this than an Inquisitor. Yeah, I would agree with that. But, uh, but, like, the lieutenant, the lieutenant's not a bad choice, and you're you're making probably the best use out of it. Yeah. No, I, yeah, I would agree with that, for sure. And I, I mean, the only other thing I would check would be, like, obviously, heavy intercessors are core. I'm assuming eradicators are as well. They are, yeah. yeah they are, so, yeah, they'll all be able to benefit from the aura, so I mean I like I like the strategy he's got planned out with this army. I think it's a good use. Actually, I find the whirlwind to be one of the weirdest portions <laughs> yeah. of it. I get I kinda get why, because it's cheaper than some of the other space marine tanks. Yeah. And the whirlwinds are better now than they used to be. So Oh oh definitely. Because <laughs> the Whirlwinds used to be one of the worst tanks they had. Um, which I believe now is like the Hunter Stalker, but <laughs> well, because the Hunter Stalker just they're right. so limited yeah. in focus. Yeah, I don't know. Like if you, I'm trying to think of what I would take in place of the Whirlwind, um, and I can't really think of anything. Because um, the the one thing I would maybe think of since you're playing Death, you know, uh, since you're playing Death Watch, would be if you could try to get, like, a Corvus Blackstar in. Um, but you can't... None of the Primaris can ride in it, and it kind of provides some of the same, like, weaponry that a Whirlwind does, but just not quite as good. So I, I don't know. Like, that's that's more of a, I really like the model, and I'd like to include it, but I also know that it's way more expensive than a Whirlwind. Yeah. And I get why, like, the Suppression Fire strat that he's using with that Whirlwind... To to make somebody like fight mm-hmm. last is is really good, yeah, yeah, you know, definitely, yeah. So it like he's like he's using it about as well as he can. So I I yeah, if he can find the points to squeeze out, then let's see. And the aggressors, I mean, flamestorm gauntlets aren't bad. I'm just trying to see if there's. I don't know if there's a price difference between them. Uh, Aggressor squad, uh, no, that's actually the cheaper options. The flamestorm gauntlets. Mm-hmm. Uh, now that's fine. Like, honestly, if I, like, again, I, I get why he's got the, uh, the company champion. Like, if he's really that tight on points, I could almost see dropping that, but so replace it model with a storm shield relic shield or combat shield only replaces the shield add one armor saving throws made for the bear the bear has the following ability dominus aegis aura friendly death watch core character units within six inches the bear models in that unit have, have a five up invulnerable save i mean yeah having a bubble of five up invulnerable around a unit on an objective is really solid so yeah i mean I would, yeah, I'd probably replace the intercess or the Inceptor with an Eradicator, like you said, just to make it easier to combat squad them out and have it make sense. Right. But otherwise, yeah, I don't really have a lot of, I don't really have a lot of other criticisms. Like, if you can find a few points by, like, maybe, you know, swapping weaponry around on the Vanguard vets to get another five points, switch the, the, you know, the Lieutenant out for a Librarian. But honestly, that's, that's completely flavor at that point how you want to do that you're not going to go wrong with having the lieutenant instead right I, he could save another five points by dropping the icarus pod off of the redemptor mm. that would be the only right, the right. only other thing i could i could see because i'd i'd want to keep both gat, gatling cannons i mean the, yeah. the second onslaught gatling cannon is is another five points it's like if you really had to squeeze points out but those are those two together, plus the storm Bolters, That I mean, that thing is just going to do DACA for days. Yeah. So, but no, like I like it. He's um, got a, he's got you know good bikes. He's got several units that can shoot at long range. He's got the eradicators for heavy armor. He's got you know the assault squads. You know the vanguard vets to be able to to take things out. Like I, I this sounds like it'd be a fun list to play. Yeah. And then otherwise, uh, warlord traits and relics worth looking at. I can add another with stratagems that the chaplain would benefit. Selfless Healer, I'm assuming is that but I mean the ability is really each time the Warlord uses its combat restorators ability, the model being healed regains three lost wounds instead of D3. I mean that's pretty nice. <laughs> and each each time the warlord is selected to return a destroyed model to a unit using the combat revival strat, the strat costs zero combat or zero costs zero command points. I mean those are both really solid. And at the end of your movement phase, you can use Combat Restoratives ability twice instead of once. So, I mean, you're keeping your like that bubble is just going to never die. So, I mean, I I could definitely see that because otherwise, he's using. Okay, he's already got Chief Apothecary, Selfless Healer worked into the points. I wouldn't change anything, honestly. Yeah. I I think that's fine, and the relic he's got the Dominus Aegis on the company champ. We've already determined that that's that's a good use of that. It actually make it's a good use of a company champion. It's one of the cheapest ways to get that that kind of bubble there on a character, and then the Beacon Angelus just teleport the uh, the aggressors w- you know within six inches of him, and with the Flamestorm Gauntlets now having a twelve inch range that's not a problem. You know, they have to stay nine inches away from enemy units, but I don't think they're that bothered by it. So yeah, uh, I, I wouldn't change anything on the relics and at least not until you've played around with it and seen how it works. But again, he's got the strategy all worked together. I would, I would see how it goes first before I would, I would tinker with any of that. So yeah, I'm with you, Kevin. Like other than like, if you wanted to change out the Lieutenant for a librarian, You could go for it, but you don't have to. And he is right; it's gonna be like other than dropping that Inceptor. There is not a lot of wiggle room on points, right? So, no, Charlie. I I think this list is pretty good. Yeah, is pretty good as is. Change out the Inceptor for a fifth Eradicator just to make those those combat squads a bit cleaner. And I would say, player, like give this a go and see how it you know once it's safe to do so. You give the list a go before you make any changes. And I wouldn't make any like large changes to it necessarily. It would be at this point, small tweaks, if anything. And if you have a list you would like us to look at, or a question or a correction, or just want our opinion on something or some, a callback to an old episode, uh, there's multiple ways to do that. Uh, in fact, there are three really good ones. So the first is email, and our email addresses are our first names at preferred enemies. So Rob at Kevin at Dennis at Richard at preferred dot com. Uh, second is Facebook. Uh, we are at Facebook dot com slash preferred enemies. You can like us there, follow us. We post uh, news, updates, uh, episode releases, and other bits, and people can discuss them. And uh, third is Twitter. We are at Twitter dot com slash preferred enemy singular. And we take comments and letters uh, from all three of those sources, collate them together, throw them into the hopper, and read as many as we can in an episode in a reasonable amount of time. Uh, we are currently uh, empty on the hopper, so if you want to get your letter in for the next episode, now's a good time. Uh, also, if you want to help support the show, uh, actually, we'd first ask that if you have the spare funds available, that you look at uh, charities, food banks, etc., in your area to put that money to first but if after that you want to continue to help us out uh you can go to patreon.com slash preferred enemies and it's basically an online tip jar uh we don't lock any of our episodes behind a paywall and uh so you can listen to us completely free but if you want to help us out and you can throw us even a dollar a month we use that money to help pay for hosting, to uh, replace microphones that break, uh, and eventually it'll help us travel to events so we can cover them and report back on them to you. Uh, but uh, you, you can go to patreon.com slash preferred enemies to help support us. And if a lot of people throw in a dollar, it adds up and helps out. So we really appreciate it. Uh, we're going to go ahead and take a break for sponsor identification. And when we come back, we'll be taking a look at Codex Drukari. See you in a bit.
1: Miniatures. We build them, we paint them, we love them. That's why we also want to get them to the battle and back again safely. And that's where KR Multicase comes
0: in. They offer a complete model storage and transport system. They offer a wide selection of core trays for standard size miniatures, as well as custom cut trays for specific models. KR's trays
1: are made of a soft foam available in a variety of colors that won't scratch or snag your models. And to protect the foam, the trays are carried in easily stackable, swappable cardboard cases. They also offer a full range of Kaiser bags, backpacks, and aluminum
0: cases for transporting your KR cases. You can even choose from pre-built tray selections to suit your army, or use the Autofill app to find just the right trays for your particular force. Whatever your game, 40K, X-Wing, Warm Hordes, or Historicals, KR MultiCase has the cases to fit your needs. You can find out more at krmulticase.com. KR Multicase, soft foam for your figures, hard cases for the soft foam. Are you tired of playing on a boring battlefield? Do you want to step up the quality of your gaming table and make your battle look real? Then you need to check out the battle mats from Game Mat. Their professionally designed rubber-based mats are just
1: what your gaming table needs. Available in a variety of styles, with everything from rolling grasslands to urban war zones, winter wastelands to alien deserts, there's a game mat mat to fit any kind of terrain. Their mats are padded, anti-slip,
2: waterproof, and when you're done rolling dice and battling on your mat, just roll it up and stick it in the convenient carrying bag for easy transport and storage.
1: And if you don't have a gaming table, they've got you covered with their folding board portable gaming area and their line of pre-painted resin terrain. If you're ready to upgrade your gaming table, head over to www.gamemat.eu and find
0: the gaming mat that's right for you. Game Mat, giving your armies the battlefield they deserve. And we're back, and that means it's time for our main topic, which is our look at Codex Drukhari. Now, as I said, we received this book... Just a couple of days ago, I have not had much of a chance to dig through the fluff section. I've mostly been looking at the rules section. So I I can't quite tell you yet of any updates. But what I can tell you is a little bit of the history of the Drukari themselves, formerly referred to as Dark Eldar. This was basically the half of the, uh, the ancient Eldari race that when they... When everybody got like really hyper intense on emotions and going crazy, uh, they were the ones who decided that after Slanesh was born and the Eye of Terror was formed that uh, well, the way they were doing things had been fine all along, they just needed to be somewhere else. So they retreated into the webway. However, Slanesh being born is still pulling at their souls even inside the webway. And so they've decided that the best way to replace that is to make other people hurt and take and then have bleed their souls to Slaanesh. Of course, they don't like Slaanesh. They still hate Slaanesh, but this is their cross to bear. So they basically turned into pirates and raiders, kidnapping people to use as slaves and pain puppets. And just generally causing mayhem and destruction wherever they go, and they're mostly headquartered around a nexus in the Webway where the city of Kamora is located. And Kamora is basically like the worst city ever, because it's like an entire city run by S and M mob bosses. Oh, It sounds like it'd be fine if you're into it. Yeah, well, yeah, if you're into it. But the thing is, they don't care if you're into it or not. Consent is not something that comes up often in Druckard <laughs> uh, conversation. No. Okay, fair enough.
1: <laughs> but didn't the yeah. city get destroyed? Or at least... Uh,
0: I, it got invaded by, by chaos yeah. during the uh, whole Gathering Storm storyline when, uh, like, Evrain was involved. And there was, like, machinations from Azdrubel Vect, who is the head of the Cabal of the Black Heart. And cabals are basically giant organized pirate mobs. And so... Yeah, he's ostensibly the head of the city, more or less. Of course, you know, it's one of these things where you you can't trust anybody. Everybody's gunning for your position, and you don't trust them either, so they don't trust you. It, it's just a very generally unpleasant way to live, but, you know, good work if you can get it, I suppose. Uh, and, and Dracari society is actually kind of divided into three general grouping. So, there's the Cabals, which are, again, the kind of the gangs that run the political structure of Kimura. And then there's the Witch Cults, which the Witch Cults have basically formed out of, like, gladiatorial fighting circuits. And so, it's basically entire sections of the Drakari Society that are focused on melee combat and showing how they are they are the best uh, of anyone in close combat fighting. Uh, they're big fans of using drugs to improve their combat uh, abilities. and so and they kind of run around in gangs with uh, they, they like to go fast, so like your your jet bikes and hoverboards fall into the the witch cult section of, of Dark Eldar, Drukari society. And then finally, well, one of the problems with the drukari is that Eldar have very long gestational periods, and so they don't reproduce as fast. And also, because people's souls are being sucked away, they don't really want to die. And so an entire section of Drukari culture became obsessed with biological experimentation and cloning and figuring out kind of in an invader zim kind of way how many organs can we fit in someone and the answer is way too many but that doesn't stop them ah so the space marine school of thought i mean well, pretty if, much you if you
2: put them all in one place then then it it works better
0: yeah, right true right.
2: More, more organs means more human, right? <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but like, uh, like where space marines kind of stopped, like, you know, two hearts, two hearts, so just so you got a backup heart. Like the, what, what ended up becoming the, uh, the homunculus covens, uh, they're, they like, okay, well, how about extra spines and extra arms? And you know what? Let's just keep an extra bag of organs so we can swap them out as needed. Also, they are really into finding out the best way to uh, torture people, to to get that maximum amount of pain to feed feed the, the, the hole in their souls. Also, they're really good at rendering people down to make those combat drugs that the uh, – that the witch cults love so very much. And so basically, Drukari, Drukari culture is equal parts, like I said, SM based politicking, ritualized blood sport, and body horror. So if these things appeal to you in any way, Drukari might be the faction for you. But yeah, they're basically known as pirates who like to take advantage of either people who are defenseless or people who are uh distracted by other wars they're they're infamous for showing up when other conflicts are going on and taking advantage to just kidnap as many uh victims as they can and run off with them and either use them as slaves render them down into drugs perform horrific experiments on them fight them in the gladiatorial combat or gladiatorial arenas i mean there's plenty of stories about like lone space marines being like Kidnapped and thrown into the arenas at Kimura to fight. Like, let's see how many witches it takes to kill a space marine, or let's see if how many beasts a space marine can fight before he succumbs, that kind of thing. And then they'll take the body and ha- have the uh, homunculi experiment on them. So, yeah, they're lovely people. Lovely, lovely people. <laughs> But yeah, so let's look at the rules that make these possible. And one of the things about the rules is I mentioned those three divisions and the rules in this book are very much split up among those groups. And I would like to say that as complex as that can make army building for for this faction, this codex is possibly the best organized rule-wise of any of them they've done. Because not only does it somehow manage to thread that needle in which all three of these groups work together together. And work separately, but they've found ways. Like they give you examples of how to build these together. So and, and exactly like this is how this functions. It gets rid of a lot of that gray gray area and wiggle room that can make some that can make this confusing if it's uh if it's more uh, vague than that. So uh, we're going to start out talking about how detachments are built. And one of the things we had in the 8th edition codex was the idea that, well, because each of these forces is separate and because of how keywords work, like, you didn't want to have an army where it's like, okay, well, we have all these mixed abilities because the thing was you could still only have one warlord and you could only have one, like, named, key, like, chapter-style keyword. In a detachment, so they wanted you to, like, well, like, your cabal will have a different set of keywords than your witch cult than your coven. And so the best way to build them in 8th edition was, well, let's take three different patrol detachments, one for each. And so they used to have a rule that said, if you had three patrol detachments, then you would get more command points. Well, because... You don't get command points based on detachments now, you get them based on game size and then detachments cost command points. What they now instead have is a rule that says if every detachment in your army is a Drukhari patrol detachment, they all becomes they all cost you 0 command points. So if you're playing a 2000 point game, you're going to have your and you build everything out of patrols, you're going to have your full 12 command points to spend on stratagems. That, and that doesn't require you to have one of each kind of detachment. It's just like you could have two different cabal detachments and one witch detachment. Or depending on game size, you could just have two patrol detachments and it, it, it would still apply. So it scales well, which is good. The other thing you can have is a real space raid detachment. Now, a real space raid detachment can be any kind of detachment, generally a battalion or a brigade if it was a really large point game. But a real space raid Real Space Raid Detachment can contain characters from, or can c- contain models from all three of these subgroups, but they specify for Real Space Raid Detachment contains one Archon unit, that is your Warlord, one Succubus unit, and one Homunculus unit, and then at least one cabalite Warriors unit, which is your troop for Cabals, at least one Witches unit, which is your troop for Witch Cults, and at least one Rax unit, which is your troop for Homunculus Covens. All other units, excluding blade f- Blades for Hire units, unless otherwise specified, which Blades for Hire cover like the few units that are kind of mercenaries and work with any of these factions, every unit gains a Drukari obsession, which is basically their chapter traits. As well as gaining Drukari obsessions for each Cabal, Witch Cult, and Homunculus Coven unit in a real space raid detachment... You can also select the associated Cabal, Witch Cult, and Homunculus Coven relics for units in that detachment, even though your Warlord is not from a Witch Cult or Homunculus Coven. And so so you still, like, you get all your strat access, you get all your your relic access. All units in a real space raid detachment gain the real space raider keyword and can replace your Warlord's Overlord ability with the following ability – which normally his overlord ability lets him uh, lets units within six inches of him from his cabal or incubi reroll ones, it applies to all core units with the real space raider keyword. So basically, you, bas- you create a massive raid that represents all three sub-factions all working together under the rule of one guy. And it still falls under the, the rules for a normal battalion. So you've got a lot of flexibility in how you can build your army list. In addition, uh, there's an extra rule which prevents people from splashing in Inari characters called the weakling kin rule. You cannot include Drukhari and non-Drukhari Eldari units in the same detachment unless all those units have the Inari keyword. So you either have to make it an all-Inari detachment or no Inari characters at all. Interesting. Hopefully that means that at some point we're going to get more Inari stuff. (laughs) I imagine we will, but it's it's going to be a little while before we get to that. But it kind of gives you an idea of where they're theoretically where they're going with Inari. But yeah, no more of this. I'm playing Dark Eldar, but I'm going to splash in an Inari character because like Evrain or the Incarn are very cool and very powerful. Uh, also, along with this uh, ability to have like multiple. Like multiple sub factions together and have, like, uh, you know, characters looking over all of them. In this, uh, they've also given you the ability to upgrade these characters into master versions of the Archon with the succubus, the homunculus. And if it's a real space raid, you can upgrade all three in the same detachment. Otherwise, normally you can only upgrade one. So, like, if you, like, if you did the three patrol thing, you could upgrade one of them in your army. Correction, for uh, one for each detachment in your army. So, okay, so if you build patrols, you can upgrade every each person, although you can't upgrade multiple Archons, multiple Succubus, multiple Homunculus. Mm-hmm. But if you do a real space raid, you can still upgrade all three, even though they're in the same detachment. So Archons, and this, this upgrade, it's one power level and 15 to 20 points depending. Archons gain the Master Archon keyword and a new ability called the uh, S- Splintered Genius. Uh, S- Succubus become Master Succubus and get Showstealer, and Homunculus gain Ma- Master Homunculus and the Alchemical Maestro ability. And then this also opens up new relics and warlord traits for these. Uh, for Archons. And and they also specify, like, no more than one Master Archon from the same Cabal, no more than one Master Succubus from the same Witch Cult, no more than one Master Homunculus from the same Coven. So, it's, like, kind of like doing a Chapter Master thing. If you upgrade your Archon, they get the ability to fight twice, which Archons used to be kind of crap at close combat. They're better now, so that's actually not a bad ability. Witch Cult get the ability to uh, consolidate an additional three inches, and they don't have to move towards the nearest enemy unit. And uh homunculi gain the ability to uh when they die roll a d six on a two up, they get back up hmm. with d three wounds
1: remaining, and it oh it does say once per battle, so it's just like all the other it's, get it's back like Celestine's
0: type of ability, yeah, yeah, but I mean, still that's a really neat ability to have kind of reminds me of like the old fourth edition d and d of like once per day when you die, <laughs> <laughs> and like I said, it opens up uh like new relics. And warlord traits for each of these. I don't want to get too deep into the weeds, but like the the relic, for example, for the the master archon is the soul helm that uh, each time an attack is made against him, subtract one from the attack roll. Each time he would lose a wound, he, he's got feel, five up, feel no pain. In addition, See, that's to the other really good. Other, yeah, that is really good. So like the- you can actually make an archon who's really really difficult to deal with.
1: And the dancer's edge for the witches is really good as well for a relic. Yeah. Well, I mean, plus two strength, minus four AP, and two damage each.
0: Yep, and uh, and six, wound, uh, six up on wound roll, or I guess just an unmodified six to wound allows no invulnerable saves.
1: Yeah, I like that part too.
0: Yeah, but that's not all. If you upgrade your characters today, you also get access to favored retinues, and this brings the return of something they used to have. I think in what like the fifth edition, fifth and maybe sixth edition codexes. Where they had like you had like Cabalite warriors, and then you had the elite version called Cabalite Trueborn, and a little bit of fluff back fluff background on that. Most uh, Drukhari, because again of the, the long uh, gestation times, aren't born the old-fashioned way. They are grown in the lab and popped out of little capsules, and they're called half-born. Well, Trueborn because they are. Made the old-fashioned way have kind of a higher rank in society, so they're they're considered more elite. So if your army includes a master archon, master succubus, or master homunculus, Humun- you can upgrade one unit of Cabalite warriors, like per master archon, or one unit of witches per master succubus, or one unit of uh, racks per uh, master homunculus to either Cabalite trueborn for warriors, Hecatrix blood brides for witches, or Hemoxites for racks.
1: I think that one's new. Yeah.
0: And for all of them, it's plus one power for every five models and two points per model. So like your warriors are eight points, they'll become 10, Witches go up to 12, that kind of thing. But what you get out of that is like for the Trueborn, they get a two up ballistic skill plus one leadership and uh, they ignore any and all hit roll and ballistic skill modifiers when they attack. <laughs> or Hecatech's Blood Brides. Uh, these can be terrifying. Two up weapon skill, plus one leadership. And each time a uh, attack by this model is made that would trigger blade artists, which we'll get to, uh, armor penetration characteristic of that attack is increased by three instead of one. That's really big. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and uh plus one save, plus one leadership. Oh, and the first time they fail a saving throw, the damage is reduced to zero.
1: That sounds very nerdy to me.
0: Once per phase, first time a saving throw has failed for the unit, the damage characteristic of the attack has changed to zero. So, yeah. And they're a troop. And they're a troop. And
1: that'll be hard to move.
0: Right, so, yeah, no, it's good. And then, basically, each one of these groups has their own, what they call the obsessions, which, again, chapter traits, their own set of warlord traits, or their own warlord trait, their own strat, uh, their own relics. So, originally, they had... Four cabals, three witch, witch cults, and three homunculus covens in the 8th edition codex. That, has, that is still true, uh, but they've also added the ability to create uh, new cabals, cults, and covens, and this is very similar to what was in Phoenix Rising, the, f- the first of the uh, Psychic Awakening books. And one that needs to be brought up, of course, is the Cabal of the Black Heart, because that used to unlock one of the nastiest stratagems in the game Agents of Vect which was basically a, what, I believe a three, find the old stratagem list.
1: Yeah, it was three CP. Yeah.
0: There we go. Yeah, three three CP for Cabal of the Blackheart, which used to be, yeah, when your opponent tries to use a stratagem, roll a d6. On one, they get to do it. On a two through five, it's canceled, and they get their command points back. On a six, it's canceled, and they don't get the command points back. And this was considered one of the nastiest strats in the game. Which it was, it was because <laughs> you could just shut down an opponent's ability to do those clutch, bone, you know, clutch uh, stratagem plays. And I believe they changed it to like a once per battle eventually. But instead, we now have Agent's Effect. First off, it costs zero CP now, but it has changed a lot. Use the stratagem f- after your opponent uses a stratagem, excluding command reroll. Until the end of the battle, the, the CP cost your opponent must pay to use that stratagem again is increased by one. This stratagem can only be used once.
1: So instead of just stopping something flat out, he's going to slowly bleed, bleed you dry of your favorite thing.
0: Exactly. It's like yeah, you can keep doing this, and the first time they use it, it'll cost what it normally costs. It's every use after that. So if they if they have a strat that they just are going to use every turn or you know every every round of the game, then this will. This will, yeah, slowly bleed them of command points, which is not bad. It's, but it's not nearly as game breaking as the old agents effect. And I think, I yeah. think this is a fair, fair upgrade. And the fact that it costs zero means you can always do it. And they still have the the they have a, a warlord trait of uh, each time you or your opponent spends any command points to use a stratagem, you can only you can roll a d six for each command point spent. On a six, you gain one command point. So, they still have that ability to steal, to basically regenerate command points for every stratagem. Although, again, with the rules, I believe that can still only be used once, so that's good. (laughs) Like, once per turn. Um, And yeah, again, they have, like, the obsessions are like chapter traits, so, like Cabal of the Black Heart, uh, well, you know what? I'm gonna to have to get to the faction to the to the general army rules because some of these won't make sense unless you know what the army rules are. So I'm gonna jump ahead to page 89 and look at the datasheet abilities. Because power from pain is a very important Drukari ability. And so before I can talk about what Black at Heart does, we need to talk about power from pain. So this rule only applies if every unit in your army is Drukari or unaligned. So not just detachment, army. At the start of each battle round, the ability gains additional effects and they are cumulative. So starting on round one, every model in the unit that has power from pain, which is pretty much everything in this army, uh, gets a six up vulnerable save. It used to be a six up fill no pain. This is actually better mathematically. Uh, round two, uh, they're eligible to declare a charge after they advanced, which means you will not be safe from their... Uh, you know, from their assault units, especially because a lot of them can mount in very fast transports. Mm-hmm. Uh, round three, each time a model in the unit makes a melee attack, add one to the hit roll. And if the vehicle or if the unit is a vehicle or monster, they don't suffer the penalty incurred hit rolls for firing heavy weapons at units in uh, engagement range. So if somebody's right up on you, you can fire your heavy weapons at them with, with no penalty. So yeah, helpful. Uh, round four, the, that invulnerable save that everyone gets increases to a five up. And then ra- round five and mo- five and up, which it's usually going to end at round five anyway, uh, you automatically pass morale tests and you count as having double wounds remaining if you have a, uh, a degrading stat line like vehicles. Every unit in the army having at least a six up invulnerable save against everything and then round two being able to advance and then charge is huge for this army. And the reason that's important for Cabal of the Black Heart is units with this obsession that have power from pain treat the current battle round as being one higher than it actually is. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah, so starting off with Advance and Charge. Now, granted, that's the Cabal side. It's really the Witch side that you'd want to have the Advance and Charge on, but that also means you get the 5-up and vulnerable save on turn 3, which I think that's where it really starts to kick in. Mm -hmm. And... If a real space raid detachment includes a cabal of the Blackheart Archon until the end of the battle, all blade-for-hire units in the detachment also treat it as one higher. So, your scourges, your mandrakes, I believe incubi are considered blades-for-hire. So, yep, incubi are blades-for-hire. So, yeah, basically anything that is not a witch or a coven gets the boost. Also, each time a unit with this obsession is selected to shoot or fight, you can reroll one hit roll when resolving that unit's attack. So basically, the idea is, like, the Cabal of the Blackheart is better at everything than you are. Mm -hmm. Um, There's Cabal of the Poison Tongue, which makes your uh, poison weapons better. Poison weapons will always have a fixed number that they wound on. Um, This improves that by one to a maximum of two up. So uh, a lot of their, like, most of your standard guns are going to be poison four up. This makes them poison three up. Minimum. Uh, Cabal of the Flayed Skull is uh, each time a model with this obsession that can fly or is embarked upon a transport unit that can fly makes a ranged attack. The, benef- the target doesn't receive light cover. It's okay. And, but also two inches to the move characteristic of your vehicles, which is really good. And then Cabal of the Obsidian Rose is add six inches to the range char- characteristic of all your assault, rapid fire, and heavy weapons, not counting relics. And you can re-roll wound rolls when making uh, when you shoot or fight. So That's instead of I re-rolling hit before. rolls, like Cabal, like Blackheart does, Rose re-rolls wound rolls. Uh, witch cults we have three. There's Cult of Strife, which is Lelith Hesperax's cult. They can always fight first. And if they declare a charge, and if there are no other units from your army within engagement range, then they add one to the charge roll. So again, there is no hiding from them. They will catch you, they will find you, they will hurt you badly. And their warlord trait is each time the warlord makes a melee attack, an unmodified hit roll of six scores two additional hits. And their succubuses, and especially Lulith, who has this as the her warlord trait, have a ridiculous number <laughs> of attacks already. Uh, Cult of the Cursed Blade, add one to your strength, which that's really good for this army.
1: I, I'm liking that, yes.
0: Uh, each time you make an unmodified saving throw of six for a model with this obsession against a melee attack, after the attacking model's unit has finished, making its attacks, that enemy unit suffers a mortal wound. Repost. Yep. Cursed Blade is, is just a really good one. And then Red Grief, uh, you can reroll charge rolls and you add two to your advance rolls. So again, you cannot hide. And then finally, Homunculus Covens, uh, we you, we get uh, the Prophets of Flesh, which used to be like the, the auto-take coven, because they used to have a five-up Feel No Pain, and that made it a four-up Feel No Pain, which, considering how tough their units already were, was really, really good. Now it's instead at the start of your command phase, each character, grotesque and monster unit, which would be your Talos and Kronos pain engines, uh, regain one wound. And each time uh, an attack is made against a unit with this obsession, unless the attack is strength characteristic eight or more, then one to threes on wound rolls always fail. So they basically have transhuman physiology built in, unless you hit them with a last cannon, in which case they don't get to walk that off. Then there's Dark Creed, which is the ant which basically is anti-leadership. They've got a six-inch minus-one leadership aura, which also subtracts from combat attrition rolls. And if you uh, attack a unit whose leadership is equal or less than yours, you add one to your hit rolls. And then finally, the Covenant of Twelve, their uh, armor penetration on melee weapons is better by one, and they can... If they're performing an action, they can still attack with ranged weapons without the action failing.
1: Oh, that is so nice. Get some racks as your troops with this. Mm-hmm. And racks can have
0: some, uh, I mean, normally they're armed with melee weapons, but you can throw in a couple of, like, one gun, one, like one or two guns in the unit. So it's
1: not- Well, I'm also thinking if someone tries to charge them, because if somebody charges, you can't do your action, but now they still could. Oh wait, no! Make just attacks with range weapons. You're right. Wait, range weapons. Attacks.
0: No, no, it's just with ranged weapons, oh, okay. which means it's it's actually eh, not not, as... not quite as good as now. I, I misread it. Yeah. <laughs> Although I would say if you had a Talos performing an action for you, that could actually still be good because they can be loaded up with gun. But otherwise, yeah, it's there. I mean, the armor penetration is okay, but. Honestly, Prophets of Flesh is still probably the best one, although it's been toned down a bit. Otherwise, you might look at making your own, and they've got – it's, again, one of these, like, pick two from this list, although there are some obsessions for all three types that are marked as all-consuming, which basically means they count as two, and that becomes your, your obsession. And then we get to page 66, which is one of my favorite pages in this book, and it is The Example of Building a Real Space Raid. So they have it broken down by, like, battlefield role and showing which sections fall under which, like, which ones are the cult, which ones are the cabal, which ones are the homunculus covens. And then beyond that, also showing, okay, so here's, like, I'll just break down the example that they give so you can see how they've they've spelled this out. This example shows Alex's Strike Force sized Drukari army organized into a single battalion detachment. Alex has designated this detachment as a real space raid detachment. Alex's army includes an Archon, who is his warlord from the Cabal of the Black Heart, a Master Succubus unit from the Cult of the Cursed Blade, and a Homunculus unit from the Hex. Because this detachment is a real space raid detachment and contains the required units described on page 49, every Cabal of the Black Heart unit gains the Thirst for Power obsession. Each every cult of the cursed blade unit that detachment gains the only the strong will thrive obsession because the hex are not one of the homunculus covens listed he must instead create a con- coven obsession for them so which he he picks two and those all the hex units gain those obsessions. Uh, because Alex has made the Archon unit the Warlord, it can be given the Cabal of the Blackhearts Labyrinthine Cunning Warlord trait. He's also spent one command point to use the Alliance of Agazny stratagem. Because of this, the Master Succubus unit has been given the Cult of the Cursed Blades Treacherous Deceiver Warlord trait, and the Monculus has been given the Master Nemesis Warlord trait. Alex has designated this detachment a real space raid, so command points can be spent during the battle to use the Agents of Vex stratagem, as it also includes a Master Succubus uh, it can in- use the venomous shard bomb stratagem and any others that, in addition to those found on pages sixty-eight to seventy, and any others from any other publications. Because this detachment is a real space raid, Alex has given the master succubus unit the cult of the cursed blades relic instead of only being able to select the select the one from the cabal of the black heart. However, he's also spent two command points to use the prizes from the dark city stratagem twice, allowing Alex to give the archon and the homunculus separate strat or separate relics as well. So they basically go through and it's like, yeah, because he's done – he's made these choices, he still has access to this. And he may have to spend some command points to give extra warlord traits and such, but he has the options to do it. And showing exactly, like, how he's having to go through and like, oh, yeah, he picked a – like, he picked a cabal that doesn't exist, so he has to pick his obsessions for that and things like that. So I love having this very clearly spelled out in something that could be otherwise very confusing. Yeah, having the examples really really uh illuminates the what they're talking about in here. Yeah. And uh to mention go we you know, the next page is stratagems, which I'll normally get to after we've looked at the uh the data sheet so we know which strats work with which units. But I do want to bring up that Alliance of Agony stratagem because it specifically keys off of the real space raider archon. Use the stratagem before the battle when you are mustering your army. If your warlord is a real space raider archon, select one succubus model from your army and one homunculus model from your army, excluding named characters, and determine one warlord trait for each of these models. This must be a warlord trait it can have. Those models are only regarded as your warlord for the purpose of the trait. Each warlord trait in your army must be unique, and you cannot use the stratagem to give a model two warlord traits. You can only use it once. But again, if you go through the trouble of building a real space raid... By spending an extra command point, you can basically have it almost act like it's three separate patrol detachments. But you get the benefit of the Archon makes everybody better as well. Again, more tools to make more army builds. Love it. Interestingly, there are only three Warlord traits available per type of arm like per type of drukari, So there are three cabal warlord traits, three witch cult warlord traits, three coven warlord traits. In addition to all the ones you can pick for your particular cabal or uh, cabal or cult or coven. Or if you pick the master character, like you would do the master upgrade, they have their own warlord traits. So again, lots of pick and choose, but by not having as many, you don't have to like, we don't end up with the case where like, oh yeah, there's six of them, but you'll only ever use three. Well, the, you'll have three for a cabal and they're probably going to be all good for the cabal so like and again like the uh, warlord like the cabal ones are there to make the archons better in close combat so like each time the warlord makes an attack reroll hit roll and wound roll or uh, add one to their attacks and uh, when an enemy model within six inches of the warlord is destroyed the model regains a lost wound stuff like that so Or witch cults have two extra attacks. Or um, gaining additional combat drugs. Uh, We've got six relics. And for one of the first times, we have them on a two-page spread that actually shows what the relics look like. Which is a nice change. Very helpful if people want to actually model particular relics. We've got crusade rules again. And for drukari their special crusade thing is that you are basically trying to show how your the, the lord of your particular crusade battle force is an important person in kamora and so what you're doing as you go through and build up experience is you're creating your territory in kamora and they even talk about like as you build, gain territories like your units gain particular abilities or you get the ability like if you have an arena as your territory, your witches gain additional experience points, things like that, and then spoils of battle that you can capture on your raids that will give you extra extra abilities or extra territories or just so like you're building the tail of your particular s n m mob boss working his way up the rungs of the ladder and uh speaking of combat drugs back from witches. Uh, that was another ability that the previous, co- and actually has been in several of the previous codexes, and it's always been, like, it's been a good ability, but it's always been kind of weird, because in the past, they wanted to make sure that nobody, like, just spammed the same combat drug over and over again. That would be unfair, so they forced you to, you couldn't use the same combat drug until ev- all six of them had been used, and then you could start using them over like start from the top of the list but then again you'd have to, couldn't use it a third time until everyone had used it a second time now they got rid of that everybody can have the same combat drug if you want which is really good for witch cults because one of the biggest problems with any Eldar army is that and dennis one of your favorite issues to bring up is that strength of three for close combat
1: yeah well, it doesn't matter when shooting, but yeah, in close combat, just the way the dice line up, four still is that magic number where you're half and half. But at three, you're you only hitting one third, or wounding on one third of the time. So just that one bump is a huge increase into the, your your effectiveness.
0: Right, but it's like okay, well, you've got your your one witch squad that can have that, or your one, you know, it's like, and. And now by getting rid of that limitation, it's like your troops can all have that plus one strength if you want. Uh, or you do have the option of rolling twice for each unit and randomly getting drugs. Uh, and they also make sure that you roll. Uh, if you get duplicates, you reroll until you get two different results, which is good. Because like, I, I think I want to say in the past they uh, sp- didn't allow you to reroll duplicates.
1: That sounds correct.
0: So so what you're saying is the uh, the motto for the succubus is drugs, not hugs? Mm-hmm. Pretty much, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'll see myself out. <laughs> okay, no, before it was like you could either roll once to get a drug, in which case you could have duplicate drugs between units, but you didn't have any control over what you had, or you could pick a drug, but you couldn't pick again until every drug had been used. Now it's... You can pick a drug or you can roll twice to get two drugs, but it'll always be two different drugs. You'll never end up like rolling the same one and then like, oh, that I'm screwed out of an option now. Although it's, it, it's almost always better to pick one, I think. I mean, none of them are bad, and they really haven't changed too much. I think the, the one that changed the most was Adrenalite, which is – it used to be just plus one attack. Now it's plus one attack if you charged or heroically intervened, which you're an aggressive army. You're going to be charging anyway. And this is not an army that wants to get stuck into combat. It's an army that wants to overwhelm its opponent <laughs> in combat. But otherwise, it's like, you know, plus one strength. +2 movement, +1 toughness, +1 weapon skill, +1 ballistic and leadership. Uh +1 strength for witches is fantastic
1: because of everything they get. So is the movement. Yeah, the movement's so good the like strength, for, strength is more important.
0: Strength is more important, but like the movement, I could see putting on like jet bikes or Hellions just to to squeeze out that extra little bit of combat. And then there was that blade artist ability we talked about earlier where if you had Hecatrix blood brides um, it was even better but everybody except for i think flyers has this has this ability each time a model in this unit makes an attack with a melee weapon on an unmodified wound roll of six improve the ap characteristic of that attack by one so it's like a weaker version of the old eldari blade storm but also only for close combat but uh You've got lots of lots of swings in close combat, so you're gonna hit some wound rolls of six it'll it and extra a p is is really good for making sure those wounds that you do stick agreed and then also homunculus covened units usually have an insensible to pain, which is a five up feel no pain, and you know looking at the units themselves. A lot of them didn't change a whole lot, other than possibly in, in some cases getting additional attacks. Although, like the Archon has pretty much the same stat line as he did before. Weapons are mostly the same. Like the the Agonizer got an extra AP, but that's about it. Uh, he still has his shadow field, which is his two up unvulnerable save until he, until he fails it, and then it's he never has it again. Succubus is your 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 Witch Cult HQ, and did gain two extra attacks, which is nice. But, all, like, they also, strangely enough, oh, no, they didn't lose enough. Okay, actually, why did they lose? Okay, they lost the Impaler option. That's what they lost. <laughs> so you can no longer take a spear. You can take the Glaive that, that the succubus is modeled with, and that got the benefit of no longer having a minus one to hit
1: attached to it, because... That's also good.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And they still have the no escape rule where you have to uh, roll off with them to see if... Uh... Oh, no, okay, I take that back. They they didn't lose the impaler. The impaler is no longer listed on their data sheet as far as having a weapon profile, but they can take a chardonnay and impaler as an, a weapon option.
1: Yeah, yeah, was it's one of the normal which ones, so they said, Oh, you can have it too, but I don't know that I'd take it over. The glaive, no, or I, th- the I think the
0: glaive is, cause the glaive's also the plus two strength, which is, right. is fantastic for them. Well, so, the Agonizer's poison, so. Agonizer's poison, which is, yeah, also, also really good. Both of those are good choices for the succubus. And just having the two extra attacks, they still have the four up and vulnerable in close combat. And like I said, they still have the no escape ability, which you roll off with your opponent if they
1: try to fall think- back. I think this might be better. I don't know when it changed, but I noticed this one only excludes Titanic.
0: Right. It used to be only infantry.
1: Yes, I remember that because I tried to do it against some people who had fly. I think it was some Tau stealth suits or something.
0: Yeah, like their crisis suits didn't have infantry, so they could just get away. <laughs> it was it was annoying. But yeah, it's still a roll. It's still a roll off, and then the net just adds one to your or subtracts one from your opponent's roll because you're catching them in a the net. And the homunculus lost an attack but gained a wound, which I think is more on brand for the for the Homunculus Covens. that It's not so much the damage they put out as much as they're just really hard to kill. He still has his six-inch bubble of plus one toughness aura, but it doesn't affect him. It only affects core units. But he also has the built-in ability to heal Homunculus Coven monsters or grotesques within three inches of them. They regain D3 lost wounds once per turn. So he, it's kind of like they expect him to be, like, surrounded by a group of uh, grotesques or hanging out with a Talos or something. We've got Lelith, who has her new model now, or will have her new model in a week once people actually get power uh, the Piety and Pain in hand. Uh, she no longer has the option of taking an, inha- uh, an Impaler. She only fights with her blades. Also, they no longer have her... Uh, her hair with barbs and hooks in it as a weapon it's just i was about to say that (laughs) yeah it's just built into her attack profile she now has seven attacks base instead of four also her blades cause extra hits every time she rolls an unmodified six um if she's fighting a character she can reroll hit rolls and wound rolls she's minus one to be hit in uh, close combat and has a four up vulnerable. She has that built-in three-inch consolidation move where she doesn't have to move towards the closest enemy model. She has uh, the roll-off for no escape. And uh, she also has an ability called Natural Perfection. She used to have where she could increase one of her abilities, like move strength, toughness, attacks, or leadership by one, unless it was move or leadership, then it was by two. Instead, it is now... Until the end of the turn, the model is eligible to declare a charge in which it fell back or advanced, or it can fight again. If this model, in the end fight phase of the model, destroyed any enemy models, then then she can fight again with her seven attacks. And and you select one of these in your command phase. You can change them every turn. Oh, and let's not forget, if she is your uh, warlord, then she also gets blood dancer, which means her sixes score additional attacks. So she scores... Three hits on unmodified hit rolls of of six, which is just insane. And she has the Master Succubus keyword already, so you can you can upgrade one of her units of witches to Hecatrix Blood Brides just because. So she's good at fighting characters, and she's decently good at thinning out, like, one-wound hordes. I still wouldn't want to get her stuck in with a unit of, uh, like, Space Marines, though. I think she'd start to have trouble there.
1: I mean, the only benefit is her four-up end bone, but way to numbers would still wear down. Yeah. Other than she can fall back and still charge and fight somebody else.
0: That's true. Let's see. We got Drezar, who is our basically not a Phoenix Lord
1: for the Incubi, Phoenix Lord for the Incubi. He's a lot different from the Phoenix Rising version.
0: Yeah, and definitely better that, you know, upgraded also significantly from his old Codex version. So, Strength Toughness 4, which is, is really good for this army. Uh, 6 wounds, 5 attacks, 2 up Weapon Skill Ballistic Skill because characters. And then before he attacks, his, his Demi Claves can either be one blade or split into two. Uh, they're either... Plus two strength, minus three AP, three damage, or plus one strength, minus three AP, two damage, but he gets to make two additional attacks. Um, he can fight an additional time in each fight phase. All damage to him is reduced by one. He's got a four up invulnerable save.
1: Yeah, and the fight, uh, the subtract one from damage characters is new, and his invulnerable save used to be only five up, so those are both new. Yeah, he, he is
0: very strong. Uh, When a friendly Incubi unit is within six inches of this model each time a model in that unit makes a melee attack, add one to that attack's wound roll. It does not specify core, and he is also an Incubi within six inches of himself. (laughs) So, not only is, like, let's say you use the single blade, so he's strength six, he is also plus one to wound. (laughs) So, you could be strength six and still wounding,
1: like, Space Marines on twos. (laughs) And with three damage each, it's probably going to kill him.
0: Oh, yeah. Or you could switch him into the dual blades, in which case he's strength five, he'd be wounding on threes. Well, strength five, he'd be wounding on threes, so he'd still be wounding on twos and doing two damage each, but also having two additional swings. So, I mean, he's, he's bad news to get into close combat with no matter what. And he has the ability of, if he's... At the start of the fight phase, select an enemy unit with engagement range of him. Roll 2d6. If it is uh, higher than the enemy unit's leadership characteristic, they have to fight
1: last. So, uh, yeah, Trazar is bad news. The only drawback is he's not a Cabal member. Uh, He is actually Blades for Hire. He is
0: Blades for Hire. However, if you have an Archon, Archons provide rerolls of one to Incubi as well. So there is that.
1: So uh, what I was getting out of there, you need to have an Archon with him. Oh, yeah. Or in in the detachment. Yeah, Incubi work better with Archons, which I think
0: is fantastic that there is a unit of Incubi included with an Archon in the new Combat Patrol. And then that makes Drazar just like an obvious upgrade character to, to add in. So, I mean, he's really, really good now. And then there's Uri and Rakarth, who now has all the rules. I mean... He had a good number of rules before, but they've kind of reworked him a bit. He has gained a wound and an attack. His weapons are mostly the same, although the Icker Injector now does only uh, one mortal wound instead of uh, D3, but uh, it just automatically does a mortal wound if you hit Whereas before it did D3 mortal wounds if you rolled a six to wound. So it's better now. It's just more consistent, but less chance of like big burst damage. But he's got that five up feel no pain. He still has his hemovores. So if you're with for each uh, enemy unit in engagement range of him roll a D6 on a six, they suffer a mortal wound. He has a new rule called sustained by dark science. Once per battle, when this model is destroyed, it's the come back to life at, at two up. So he has that built in. So he is, by being a master homunculus, which he also has that keyword too. He has his fleshcraft, same fleshcraft ability as other homunculi. He has a four-up and vulnerable save for having a clone field, which uh, he had before. Contempt for death, which he had before, halves all damage that he takes. And then he has a six-inch aura for profits of flesh core units. It's two separate auras for some reason. One adds to their toughness. One adds to their strength and leadership. I'm not sure why they made it two separate auras, but I guess so th- you couldn't turn off both of them with, like, one strat, because there are strats and abilities that can turn off, like, individual auras. Uh, then we get into troops. Kabalite warriors are mostly the same, except they gained an extra attack each. And again, that's something we're going to see throughout the army. And otherwise, uh, like, their weaponry is mostly the same. The big differences, I would say, are... The Dark Lance is now D3 plus 3 damage instead of D6. And we see that across the board in this army. So it's just more consistent anti-vehicle damage. And otherwise, you know, th- I mean, they are your Cabal troop choice. You're If you're running a real space raid or a Cabal patrol, you're going to be running them. And, and I don't have to talk about points changes because the points in the codex match the uh, points value from the most recent Mu- Munitorum update. With one, there's still an error where the uh, Reaver jet bikes are 10 points instead of 20. So this went to print before they fixed that. So expect to see a daisy or a Rada. But anyway, the point costs are what they are on their website. Warriors are eight points apiece. They've got a, so they've got a four up, which actually that, okay, I do take back. That is one change they have. Their armor save went from a five up to a four up, which that's also really good for them. Yeah, that so a little bit more survivable, a little bit more killing in close combat, and just, a, you know, a decent troop choice for any, you know, tough three army. Witches, their big change is also an extra attack, but for an assault or a unit, that is a huge upgrade. And again, being able to have multiple units using the same combat drug, also a number of their weapons improved improved in AP because they were originally equipped with Hecatari Blade which gave them an extra attack so they're actually four attacks each but it's also now AP minus one and they have Blade dan- blade Artists which means if you wound on a six it's AP minus two. Some of the other weapons though changed a little bit. So for example uh, Hydra Gauntlets used to be you could reroll failed wound rolls and you got to make an extra attack. Now instead it's an extra It's just the extra attack, but also plus two strength and an extra AP. So plus two strength minus two AP and an extra.
1: I will strike. still take that.
0: Yeah. The, again, strength buffs are always good. Their power swords got the same power sword treatment everybody else has, where it's plus one strength. Razor flails used to give you D3 additional attacks and you could re-roll failed hit rolls. Now they just double the number of attacks. So it's like it used to be when you fought... You did D three additional attacks. Now razor flails
1: are every every attack is doubled. So you'll attack six times as opposed to four times if you just had the regular blade.
0: Right. It's it's still a a better it's it's a better set of rules than the previous one and just a little bit simpler. Shardnet um, and Impaler are just better AP and damage, and they let you do an additional fight with the weapon, and it gives you the benefit on the no escape. Which, having one person with a shardnet and an Impaler in your unit is not necessarily a bad
1: choice. No, I mean, it's probably not as good as some of the others, but the having that no escape additional bonus is very nice. And it looks yeah. like you can only have, like, one of each of those in a unit of ten, so you can't, like... Oh, this is one that has two Hydra Gauntlets, because I think it used to be you could just pick which special weapon per five. And right. that's, I guess, a, a unit of ten can have one of each. Right. And a unit of five can't have any. Yeah. So probably not taking any units of five.
0: No, I think which is which is really like, even though they're technically minimum five, I wouldn't take them at less than 10. But if you have 10, you can have three different three different special weapons in there. Right. Because it doesn't say one witch's weapon can be replaced with this or this or this. It's one witch can get this, one witch can get this, one witch can get this. And then that can be doubled if you take it, them at 20 models. So if you max out the unit, which... Unle- Does the Tantalus have a 20 model transport capacity? I have to go rub the book. It might. I, I just don't see it as something that's going to come up often. Uh, 16 is the transport capacity of the Tantalus. Ah, see? So, like, yeah, you'll never take a unit of 20 because... They won't be, like, they're fast, but they won't be fast
1: enough. Yeah, and also if you transform. take 20, you used to only get one of the Hecatrix, while if you take two tens, you get two.
0: Yeah, no, mm-hmm. I th- like, I would take Witches, I wouldn't take Witches in anything less than a unit of 10, but I wouldn't take them in more than that either. So pretty much
1: 10. 10.
0: <laughs> but also, but again, with Blade Artists, combat drugs, power from pain, the extra attacks, and the fact that their weapons in general just give you more attacks. They're really scary. Which is something that witches haven't been for a long while.
1: Yeah, I'm just halfway sad that you can only take get upgrade one squad to uh, the Blood Brides. Oh, two it's squads better than, than what they be had really before, nice. which was no squads to Blood Brides. Well,
0: true, true. <laughs> and then we've got racks, which are the tough troop choice. They're tough for. Again, they gained an Actually no, they didn't gain an extra attack. They were already at two Two attacks, three attacks. The main thing is they went from having a six-up feel-no-pain, five-up invulnerable save to start, to having a five-up feel-no-pain, six-up invulnerable save to start, which eventually becomes a five-up invulnerable save, which you could argue is a little bit of a nerf, but only slightly. They're still pretty survivable. They have lots of poisoned weapon options, and then their like their main weapon is rack blades, which are AP minus one poisoned weapons, which they used to have homunculus tools, which were just poisoned weapons with no AP. So, again, we're also seeing better AP generally in the army, so we're seeing attacks sticking more, too, which is good. Uh, we still have the option of the court of the Archon, which you can only include if you have one or more Archon units, doesn't take up a slot in a detachment. And you have to have at least four models in it. It can go up to 16, which was, is a very different way than it was done before. Cause it used to be you'd have to like buy each one of these data, sh- like each one of the component data sheets separately, but they didn't take up slots if you had a cabal.
1: Prior to that, they were all on one data sheet. So they, they've, I guess, expanded and now contract it back. Yeah.
0: They add just a lot of little weird abilities. I like it's definitely not a must take, but it's a neat little flavor bit. And it also doesn't specify that uh, like you have to have like one of these, like one of each or anything. Like if you want to have like four ghouls or two Lemans and two Medusa, you can do that. Like it's totally fine. See, we get incubi, which also way killier than their previous. Because it used to be just they had clave, and clave was okay. Uh, they always, they still have three attacks base, four attacks for the clavex, who is their their sergeant. But the clave is now plus two strength instead of plus one strength, and is also two damage instead of one damage. So the the clave is, like they're just equipped better. Uh, the Uh, clavex can take has the demi claves similar to what drazer has but he doesn't have the three damage option that drazer has but if you have a clavex each time uh, you roll a unmodified six to wound um you do an extra damage so also still nasty these guys will carve up uh, space marines all day long because their minimum like even their dual blade mode on the on the demi claves is still strength four and their strength, the regular clave is strength five. And they've got the same tormentor's ability that, uh, Drazar has to make people fight last. So, uh, incubi are also a really good unit now. (laughs) Like they are, they are finally as deadly as they, they probably should have been this whole time. Mandrakes are basically your deep strikeable kind of close combat units. With uh, five up invulnerable and a minus one to be hit, so you know, kind of sneaky, nasty, deep strike in, cause some trouble. Grotesques are your what if rack, but super steroids and extra extra body parts. Uh, Didn't really change that much, other than the same change that racks had, where their their feel no pain or their invulnerable save became a feel no pain. Um, Their weapons are. Mostly the same, although the liquefier gun got the flamer range boost, so it's now a twelve inch and an extra strength, but and a fixed AP of minus two instead of an AP of negative D three, which is just <laughs> oh yeah yeah. I'm I'm glad that it's just it's fixed and simplified. Uh, Flesh gauntlet is plus one strength, which was even better. Uh, the monstrous cleaver is an extra damage now, so their stat line stayed the same. Their weapons all got better. So that's really good. Um, You've got the the Beasts, which you can only add in Beasts if you have a Beastmaster. And they still take up slots. So you take the Beastmaster as an elite, and then all the Beasts are fast attack. But the Beastmaster does not take up a slot as long as you have Beasts. So, like, if you... But it's like no more, like, you can't just like, I will throw in a bunch of razor wing flocks, which used to be a, a thing. Well, right now you can only take two. And you can only have three beast units max, period.
1: Right. So, so maybe two raz- razor wings and one chimera or one chimera, one razor wing, one Clawed Fiend.
0: Right. And you have to take a beast master for them as well. So they've kind of like just cleaned up how that all all works together, which I'm totally fine with. Uh, Reavers, which are your, like, which is on jet bikes, they get the benefit of their guns being just better than they were before. They also get the extra attack, which is really nice. And, uh, Blade Veins, instead of being a fixed strength four, now they're strength plus one, which means if your, uh, Reavers get the strength combat drug, they are now (laughs) strength five.
1: (laughs) Nice. Doesn't make as much sense to me, but nice. I'll take it.
0: Well, if you're stronger, you can steer the bike harder at people, I guess. Oh, that's it. Got it. Now, now I'm, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> they still have the options for Cluster Caltrops and grab Talons. They work pretty much the same way. Like if you have Cluster Caltrops yeah. and somebody falls back, they take a mortal wound on a 4-Up. Uh, grab Talons. Yep, after you charge... Select enemy unit with engagement range. Roll d D6 and a 4-up. They suffer for Immortal... Yep. Yeah, so those basically work the same way. So the bikes haven't really changed too much, although they gained the extra attack. And uh, the Heat Lance option, I think, is a a better option now than they had before. It was already a really good option, but yeah, it's better. (laughs) Yeah, because... It is now, uh, it's no longer falling under Melta rules, and so there's, like, no half range anything, but it does get the same buff that melter weapons have gotten, where the damage is D6 plus 2. Also, it's strength 8 instead of 6. That's a huge boost. Oh, it's a very huge boost. Now, there is the trade-off in that it's now considered a heavy weapon, but bikes don't suffer a penalty for removing and using heavy weapons, so it really doesn't matter. So, Reavers are, are a really solid choice,
1: I mean, they were before. They're still good. And if you want mobility, there's your unit.
0: Well, they're one of the units, and they yeah, they still have the the automatic eight inch advance rather than rolling to see how much they advance. Which again, if you go so
1: turn two, 26 inch ad- advance and charge.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they're still yeah, they're still really good. And then there's Hellions. Hellions were a unit in the past which. They were obviously inferior
1: to Reavers, yeah, and they 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 were they just paper thin were. oh yeah,
0: they were fragile they uh just they didn't have the damage output they I mean they were fast, but they just didn't really bring anything useful to the table well they they have gotten the same uh attack upgrade that witches have, so three three attacks base, four for the uh for the sergeant they went from tough three to tough four, and they gained an extra wound. So they are far more survivable than they used to be. Uh, they still have access to combat drugs, so you can make them stronger, you can make them tougher, faster, what have you. And then their uh, their weapon, uh, which is the Hellglave, is still plus one strength, so they're like they're rocking strength four attacks right out the gate, and is also AP minus one now instead of AP zero, and still doing two damage. So. They're a like, they're a like their unit that can give a you know space marines a real real trouble to deal with at like you can just have multiple units that are pure threats to pretty much everything coming at somebody very quickly. And Hellions still only cost seventeen mo- points a model, which assuming the twenty points for bikes gets eroded in, makes them a cheaper cheaper fast assault choice also.
1: Yeah, I I will agree with that. I'm still not totally sold, but they seem like a more of a harasser unit than a unit that can actually get stuff done. I know that sounds weird to say.
0: But with being, like, a a more survivable unit, they're a really good unit for going and capping objectives. Like, pushing people off of objectives. Especially with that many attacks. Yeah. Because, like, a unit of five is going to have, you know, 16 attacks, including the heliarch. So... You know, sixteen attacks at strength four or strength five. If you give them the
1: strength combat drug, or and, since they have hit and run, you could give them the attack one.
0: Uh, that's true because they could fall back and charge again. Like if I can't push you off, I'll fall back, charge you again, and then yeah, even more attacks. I mean, hellions could can really theoretically get some work done. And even though they move 14 compared to the Reaver's 18, again, smaller board size, that's not that big an issue. And you're, and being able to advance and charge turn two, like you kind of spend turn one getting into position and then turn two, you push in that charge 14 inches plus a D6 advance plus a 2D6 inch charge. I mean, you can pretty much make sure that you're going to make those charges. Like, Hellions actually have some real potential now, which they just didn't before. So, I like having more viable options in the fast attack slot. And then finally, we have Scourges in the fast attack slot, which are our like basically your jump troop heavy weapons guys, which has always been a weird combination, but it works for them, so we'll let them have it. Uh, Their big thing is uh, they got noticeably uh, tougher by having a 5-up invulnerable save built in. And they have the same weapons upgrades that we've been seeing throughout. Like the Dark Lance now is D3 plus 3 damage. The Heat Lance is strength 8 and D6 plus 2 damage. Uh, it is a heavy one, so they will suffer a penalty with either of those for moving. If you want to drop a unit in and make sure, like, a vehicle is dead, they're a really good choice. Now, they don't benefit, they are blades for hire, so they don't benefit from any of your uh, obsessions. They don't generally get access to rerolls. Although they are core, and if they're well, no, in a in a real space raid,
1: that still doesn't affect uh, blades for hired, does it? No, you have to be the archon or the black heart, or I think actually no, I think all units in the real space, space raid, ra- yeah, right, all units in a
0: real was. space raid do gain real space raider, and they are still core. So in a real space raid, they would get access to the to the rerolls. So,
1: but odds are he they won't be close enough to the archon. <laughs> this <laughs> is also true. <laughs>
0: They're still not a bad unit, though. And, like, in the Pity and Pain box, what they basically bring to the table is
1: the long-range support that witches don't have. Oh, I <laughs> thought that was to drop in behind the vehicle and just blow it up so the sisters have no chance.
0: Also that, I'd say that qualifies as <laughs> providing the long-range support that uh, witches don't have. Because the witches won't do much against the emulator. <laughs> They're not going to have a great time against the emulator, But the Scourges sure will. Um, We've got the Talos, which uh, uh, has pretty much the same stat line as before. Um, And again, uh, a lot of the weapons did get upgraded or like you can take the dual heat lance on it. Um, You can take dual haywire blasters, which uh, the haywire blasters got a little bit upgraded. They're uh, better AP, more damage, and with the potential to do mortal wounds against vehicles uh they're blast weapons so against larger units they'll automatically hit more but they're generally more useful against uh inf- you know against non-vehicle units but also still very good against vehicle units otherwise they're mostly the same as they were before chain flails in, uh don't let you re-roll failed wound rolls anymore so there is that, but otherwise they they mostly serve that same part, that same role of being a homunculus coven, you know, gun and, and close combat platform. The Kronos, which is its cousin, is still weird. It's
1: your healing battery.
0: Yeah. It, again, it just, it serves kind of an,
1: an odd role. Yeah. In the older roles, it was the one that gave you an aura to increase your power from pain. And now it's just, if it kills something, um, as long as you've got a Drukari core unit within six inches, you can either heal a wound on someone, or if everyone's a full, return a unit back at one wound. Right. Or a model back at one wound.
0: Now, what's interesting is
1: that ability used
0: to be if you had the spirit probe attached, like you had to take that piece of war gear to get the, to get the spirit probe. Otherwise, you had the spirit siphon, which was a, a ranged weapon. Now the spirit probe allows uh Drukari core or character units to reroll wound rolls one basically turns it into a lieutenant and then that reservoir pain is just all chronos all the time have that but it has to be a unit that it kills with its tentacles
1: which i think that's that's kind of you might now in a real space raid put a couple of these in there to kind of sprinkle around your melee units it might not be able to keep up as well it still moves eight but i don't know i find it interesting
0: I think it. if, again, it's one of those things like falls into, this is a more viable option than it maybe used to be, or just easier to work with, which again, more options, more flexibility in army building. That's the kind of thing we want to see. Let's see. Next, we get into our, you know, we continue heavy support with Ravagers, which uh, are basically what if your transport, but we strapped three guns to it. Big guns. Like it's gained an extra wound from the previous codex, which is good. Otherwise, its stat line is pretty much the same. Uh, It comes with three Dark Lances stock. You don't have to pay extra for them. And again, Dark Lances having just the more consistent damage is really good. Uh, Alternately, you can replace one or more of those Dark Lances with Disintegrator Cannons, which uh, didn't really change much. They are still 36-inch. Well, they're Heavy 3 instead of Assault 3, but, you know, functionally the same thing on a vehicle now. Uh, Strength 5, AP minus 3, 2 damage. So do you want more shots that are good at infantry or do you want things that will go after vehicles? And you can mix and match. So you can have like two Dark Lances and a Disintegrator and not have any problems. They still have a 5 up and vulnerable save against ranged attacks. And with Power and From Pain, they'll also have a 6 up against all attacks. And they come in at 140 points, which, you know, it was one of the reasons why they threw it into the uh, patrol box. Because now you get a, a gun platform in there. Uh, meanwhile the raider actually also got an upgrade in that it went from tough five to tough six.
1: Oh, nice
0: yeah it's no longer made entirely of tissue paper just paper just just regular <laughs> paper yeah and you you know you still have all the classic classic upgrades chain snares grizzly trophies splinter racks which allow you to treat you know your rapid fire weapons as always in half range if you're embarked upon it and yes they are it is still open top so the people in inside can still shoot also the uh transport capacity is been increased by one so you can actually fit a character and a squad of 10 onto it which is is nice
1: yeah i think that's other than the toughness that's the biggest change i see
0: yeah and then finally as far as dedicated transports you have the venom which uh has the uh it has an extra attack otherwise has the same stat lines before tough five six wounds um it still has the flicker field which is like they combined the flicker field and the night shield to be one rule, but you know, it's the same thing. Five up in one to be hit by ranged attacks, still open topped. Um, still your, your uh, multiple small unit transport option and also one extra capacity. So you can have a character with the, you know, the unit of five that you throw onto there. Although at the venom is 65 points, the raider is 85. I, I almost wonder if it's really worth, like, maxing out on Venoms necessarily the way people used to. Like, I don't know if Venom spam is is as good a build necessarily.
1: I think it still depends on what you're running. Mm -hmm. Um, Venoms are probably still good for, like, your smaller units, like the Incubi or others elite ones. But I think Cabal, the Warriors would want to be on the Raider due to the Splinterax, which is, well, we just talked about you only want 10. So Venom can't hold them. Trying to think of others, but the biggest thing on the Venom is it's still you can like do two Splinter Cannons to get six poison shots, and like if you spam a bunch of Venoms, that's still a lot of shots. Not as probably as many as you need anymore, but and the fact that the Flicker Field is fully built in is really nice. So it's it's more of a I'm going to handle some elite things and get my transport to where I need so I can maybe drop off Incubi or whoever needs to go. I still like them. But you're you're right that the raider actually has a a probably stronger place if you're going more on the troops. And it's also only tough five, so
0: I, I also think that the uh, with like the way the real space raid kind of works out, I mean, I, I don't think you'll see as much venom spam as much as you would see like mix and match. Like you'll have a couple of venoms and you'll have a couple of raiders more likely than you would have like all, all of one or all of the other. Uh, let's see. Then finally, our two flyers: the Razorwing Jet Fighter and the Void Raven Bomber. And I mean, again, if you're looking for like if you want flying gun platforms, these will definitely do the trick. But they, we, we are talking before recording about how the problem with flyers these days is besides being harder to fit into formations just because of you know you have fewer flyer slots available it's also the smaller board size can make these actually a little bit of a liability to fly
1: that is true but of the two i still really like the void raven bomber because one it's its heavy weapons are super heavy i mean you can still toss out the void lances for strength 9 and then also the void mine. I mean it's only once per battle so this is an expensive thing that once per battle, but if you can find an enemy has clustered up a bunch of units, you can drop that on them and there's a good chance they're going to take a bunch of mortal wounds. That is true. That is true.
0: And I I remember you have used a uh, you've used the uh, void raven bomber against me to good effect before, so
1: Oh, yeah, I, that's why I love it because that bomb always seems to do a lot of damage. Mhm. Like, it's n- it's
0: not a bad choice. Like I said, they're just harder to fit into armies. Agreed, yeah. And granted, I'm going to compare this to the previous version uh, point-wise of the Minotaurum update, because obviously the newest one ha- has these same point values. But the Razorwing Jet Fighter is 160 points. The Void Raven's 185. Now, that's 185 is with all the guns built in, which is nice, uh, because before it was 185, not counting the war gear. But, you know, at $185, it is the single most expensive model in the army, not counting things like the Tantalus. So it, it's, it's a harder argument to make for the Void Raven bomber. Again, it's not necessarily a bad choice. It's just there are other things you can put in that will give you similar effects that might give you
1: a bit more bang for your buck point-wise. True. I, I, I view this as something that you would toss in after you've got everything else kind of planned out and had extra points or just because you think the model looks cool.
0: <laughs> that is also true. And and this is an army that does lend itself very well to like rule of cool because there's a lot of really neat designs. And this is also an army where pretty much everything in the army was completely like visually redesigned and re-released mostly in plastic. I think a couple of characters are still in fine cast, although hopefully we'll, and see more of them get updated because this was also one of the first army lines we saw where they like they took an old set of kind of redo and just just completely redid them yeah Let's... i mean
1: the biggest one i remember might be the homunculus because drazar is the plastic, plastic now yeah yeah the
0: named homunculus coven's character uh i forget his I'm blanking on his name right now you're in uh, he's he's yeah rackarth he's still he's still fine cast yeah, and I think he might be the only one because Jane Zar got updated and Drezar and Let's see, all of the Jane, Court of the Eldar. Oh, whatever, what, what whichever one that they have for Dark Eldar. <laughs> Although she did also get updated to plastic, so you know, <laughs> Lilith. <laughs> yeah, they're all the same. They're all goofy old. El- they're all goofy elves. <laughs> let's see um yeah the court of the archon is still you know they don't refer to it as fine cast anymore they just call it resin but we know the truth it's still yeah the court of the archon the grotesques are still fine cast the homunculus is plastic urian rackarth oh is- nice yeah the homunculus is plastic urian rackarth is fine cast all the beasts are still fine cast the beast master i believe is fine cast uh, mandrakes are fine cast so oh a, yeah my mandrakes yeah yeah uh and then the archon is the archon is plastic although uh, currently only available in the combat patrol box the model is marked as no longer available online which makes me wonder if we'll get a new archon model eventually which i mean it's already in plastic so a new plastic sculpt wouldn't be bad yeah, a secondary sculpt because he's very, he's very static. Oh yeah. yeah, like the the fine cast one they had before. We had the um the helmet with like the the second face on it was super yeah. cool, and I would love to get something like that in plastic. But yeah, instead we just have the the yeah, the mono pose with the one head and and like un, like there's it's he's very difficult to effectively convert because just like. He's got no other weapon. O- I mean, the unit, the model can take, or the you know, the unit can take weapon options. He can't. You know, like, the model can't. I mean, it, again, it's it's like most of this army, the rule of cool. Uh, grotesques are one that I'm still boggled that they've never released a plastic kit for those. Uh, then uh, we'll jump back to stratagems. Some of these are familiar. Like, you know, the webway portal is still a thing they can take. Or that you can basically have them deep strike onto the board. Uh, you've got Cruel Deception, which allows them to fall back and then either shoot or declare a charge. It costs 1 CP or 2 CP if you want them to fall back and then shoot and declare a charge. They have an anti slanesh strat because, like, every faction these days has to have somebody they absolutely hate, so that's great. You've got abilities to allow Homunculus Coven units reroll wounds. You've got uh, lightning-fast reactions for... Uh, reducing somebody's attack roll at you, you know, during the shooting phase. Uh, Never stationary, which used to be called fire and fade. After a unit in the shooting phase attacks, a Drakkar unit excluding aircraft, which would be another reason why Ravagers might be a better choice, uh, from your army can immediately make a normal move up to seven inches. (laughs) So you can have them fire and then pull back out of line of sight. Screaming jets, you can still deep strike vehicles. (laughs) Uh, eviscerating flyby another reason why bikes and hellions are good uh select a witch cult unit that can fly to make a normal move or advance after the unit was, has moved select an enemy one enemy unit this unit moved across roll a d6 for each model in the unit add one if they're an in infantry for each roll of five up they suffer a mortal wound so you can have your uh oh, yeah nice. have your like yeah. hellions or jet bikes fly over somebody and then turn around and assault them <laughs>
1: I believe that was in
0: there already, but I think it was, but now with Hellion, like, you just got more units that can do it. Uh, Deadly Rivals, use this stratagem in your command phase. Select one Reaver's unit from your army and one Hellion's unit from your army. They're within 12 inches of and visible to one another. Until the end of the turn, add one to their movement, and each time a model in this unit makes an attack with a melee weapon, you can reroll the hit roll. So they're just trying to one-up each other. Makes sense. Makes sense. For two CP, if you're going to mix both of them, if you're going to go, like, Witch Cult heavy, that's not necessarily bad. Uh, one of the last stratagems listed, uh, Potent metallotoxins. It uh, allows your poison weapons to have their normal poison rule against non-Titanic vehicles for a turn.
1: That's useful.
0: Yep. Because that was also one of the problems, like, you had your splinter weapons. Well, they're great against inventory, but against vehicles, they're useless.
1: And well they made them doubly useless when they made them strength dash.
0: Yeah. Now they do so at have least a stre- you've got a chance. Well most of them have like strength two
1: now. Three. Yeah. But that's a chance.
0: It's a chance, but now you can make them automatic like work. Just- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, let's see. Hyperstim Backlash, use the strat in your command phase, select a witch cult unit with combat drugs, until the next combat phase each effect of the combat drug's ability on that unit is doubled. Oh, wow! Yikes! Yeah, so that one's that one's pretty good. Uh, the Crucible of Malediction for Homunculi: Use a strat in your Psychic phase. Select one Homunculus unit from your army and roll a d6 for each enemy Psyker within 12 inches of it. Doesn't have to be; a, it's not something that's on a character anymore, which is nice. Uh, for your each roll of four up, that Psyker unit suffers d3 mortal wounds. Against a Grey Knights or Thousand Sons army, this could do a lot of damage. <laughs> Yeah, Enhanced ether Sails for Raiders or Ravagers is just a strat now, which basically allows you to advance 8 inches rather than have to roll for it. Still got Haywire Grenades as a strat, just kind of like we have melt bombs as a strat for Space Marines. Shock Prow, you have to have taken the Shock Prow upgrade, which gives you the Shock Prow keyword, and then lets you uh, charge a unit, end up with in engagement range, and do extra mortal wounds to it. So, I mean... You know, kind of like how they've been moving a lot of the the old War Gear abilities to a keyword that then ties into a strat that you have to spend command points to activate. But, because you have more command points in general in the game, it's not that big a problem. And then finally, real quick, the, uh, the missions for match play. We have for Purge the Enemy, there's Take Them Alive. If you select this objective, score victory points at the end of the battle for each of the following... Score three victory points if any character or monster units were uh, destroyed by a melee attack made by a Drukhari unit from your army during that battle round. Uh, score one victory point if any unit, excluding character, monster, or vehicle units, were destroyed by a melee attack made by a Drukhari unit from your army during that battle round. Score victory points at the end of the battle. It'd have to be at the end of the battle round. I think there's a word missing there.
2: <laughs>
0: uh, that one... C- if there's, well, with character and monster, it's gonna depend on what army you're playing against, but if they're either character or monster heavy, this wouldn't necessarily be a bad one to take. I think you could max it out, especially in like later turns. Beasts for the arenas, score three victory points at the end of the battle for each enemy monster, cavalry, or beast unit that was destroyed by a melee attack made by a witch cult unit from your army. If that unit was titanic, score five victory points for it instead. So if you can kill a squiggeth or a hyrant, <laughs> Like a hierophant biotitan, have your five victory points. Uh, That one's going to be very specific on who you fight it, who you're fighting against, and it's for units. So like, like it still it would be really hard. Like even though like space wolves have cavalry, I guess with cavalry and cyber wolves, like again, very very situational. This is effectively if you're facing like demons, and that's about it. Because demons like Slunesh Oh yeah, or Tyranids, but like Slanesh demons or like corn demons and you know or yeah, tyranids are the only ones that are gonna have like a lot of monsters and cavalry and, and beasts. Yeah. Uh, and under No Mercy meet No Respite, we get Fear and Terror score a victory point at the end of the battle round for each model that fled from enemy unit during that battle round. Oh, uh, that's still I mean, that's so swingy and dependent on dice rolls and while you do have a few abilities that can mess with leadership it's because of how combat attrition works it's not nearly as dependable as it used to be well technically doesn't the entire game swing on dice rolls but yeah i get your point <laughs> yeah, i mean you're not wrong i'm just but like, yeah, no, like you, you, yeah yeah you can't you can't just like okay i've lowered your leadership and i'm just going to overwhelm you with enough losses that so many people automatically break It's one person (laughs) runs, and then you've got to hope they roll badly on combat attrition. Uh, Agreed. (laughs) Right. And, I mean, with this army,
2: aren't you hoping that you're going to kind of wipe out the stuff
0: that you hit in the first place? Right, Mm because you... Yeah, you don't want to get stuck in with this army. So, yeah, you want you want to just like overwhelmingly wipe them out. I mean, I guess maybe I maybe maybe Homunculus Covens could could use this. Yeah, Homunculus Covens, I could see that. And I think they tend to have more more leadership affecting abilities too. So that yeah. that might be a better one for them. Yeah. And then finally, for Battlefield Supremacy, heard the prey score two victory points at the end of your turn for each table quarter that does not have any enemy units, excluding aircraft wholly within it. This objective cannot be scored in the first battle round. Now, that one's not a bad one to take necessarily. If you have if you feel like you can do board control that like and push people out of table quarters, if you think your list can be killing enough that one's not necessarily bad. I unlike some other armies where you see some of these uh, these mission objectives and you're like, "Oh no, this one's definitely the one you take for this build." I look at these and like none of these really grab me. Like they're all extremely conditional on on what you're fighting against.
1: Yeah, I'll agree. I think they feel very situational. I don't I'd have to play a few games to see if I actually would use any of them.
0: But I, I think a lot of, like, the, the core mission and, like, secondary missions you already have cover a lot of what you'd want to do anyway. So, yeah, it'd be very, 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 very specific to particular builds and particular opponents. Uh, but otherwise, I mean, that's, that's the Dukari book. I like pretty much everything I see. I think all the various issues that they were hitting with, like, the, just the way the army was built... And especially considering that this is an addition that is friendlier to assault than it's ever been, and all the like, a lot of their stuff got boost in extra attacks, extra damage, more consistent damage, uh, more flexibility in army builds. I don't think there's a bad change in this book. Really, I'm pretty happy with this. I think Trukari players will be pretty happy with this.
1: I, I mean, there's one thing I'm not as happy about is I don't own any racks yet. So I will have to go look to get some. And I'm sure when this book hits, they're all going to be sold out because pff, new book, get all the new stuff. Yep. Temporarily sold out online. So yeah, that that's my one complaint
0: <laughs> that in- encourages you to build, uh, build something with a bit of everything.
1: Well, and that the bit of everything that it encourages, I don't have. So yep. I'll have to wait a bit until I can. Do that part.
0: Yeah, it looks like a lot of the uh, a lot of the drukari stuff that's a bit more specialized has has sold out, except for beasts. Nobody wants to buy beasts. I can't imagine why. No, I'm. I think this is this has been a good upgrade for them. I think it definitely brings them up to ninth edition design philosophy, which is shorter, punchier, deadlier games, and they. But in this case, they're not just being made deadlier; as in they will die more. It's deadlier, as in they are just they are a deadlier opponent to face, which is where you want them to be. So I think that I, I think they're a good uh, a good army now. I mean, we'll have to, again we'll have to see how games actually play out with them. But I what I see is very encouraging.
1: I mean, the only thing I didn't hear you state at all was any psychic defense. But I guess we've just come to accept that oh, they, they don't. don't really have. I mean, that.
0: other than like the Crucible of Malediction, yeah, they re- they really don't have anything anti-psycher, and that's that is just kind of a a, a problem with non-psychic armies is they generally don't have any. But and uh, so just kill their psychers before they can cast anything. That that's that's what you do. <laughs> that works. I think, I mean, really, I think that's your strategy is like, well, kill, just kill them. And that is going to bring us towards the end of the show. So first off hobby progress. Um, unfortunately, I have just been really busy the last couple of weeks. So I've gotten a little bit more painting done on my, like uh, my, my Age of Sigmar stuff, but not a lot. I haven't even finished a unit. I am, I am shamed, but I did inventory what i had for do it placing a large kr order so i will at least be ordering like i've sent off my list to them of what i need so we will find out what the final cost is it's not gonna be cheap because <laughs> it's like i think i i totaled up it's like there's a few cases where I'm replacing the foam because like sisters of battle, my the new sisters won't fit in the old foam because their bases are wider, and they now have oh, some. Yeah. Cu- and they have some custom cut stuff for like Celestine and some of the other units. But uh, it's like I think I've uh, I totaled up to like 16 cases worth of foam. So so yeah, it's. it's I think that's pay. more than I made when I was moving. So wait till you hear from
1: Kevin's list. But first, Dennis, you're up. <laughs> Sure. Um, I've bought more sisters. Everyone is so surprised. Um, <laughs> no, actually I had the, since we had the big ice storm when my birthday was going to happen in, in Texas, we got together in March to celebrate. So my, my family got me some more sisters of battle. It's like, Hey, thanks guys. So I was very happy about that. And so I've got that. And then yesterday I was able to actually get to the Citadel and pre-order the um, piety from pain so that'll finish out my thousand point sister's army that i had kind of planned out just in time for i'm still thinking maybe now summertime they'll get their new codex and then maybe i can plan out the other thousand points because i'm trying to treat them like i did um slanesh when i first started them of here's my set list and then know that over time it'll just grow and grow i also put bought and put together some um paint racks so instead of having like my little pots of paints just all sitting out they all have a little place to stand now Nice. so it looks a lot more organized and it cleaner and more open now than instead of just being kind of chaotic so very pleased with getting that done too so you, you do have racks
0: hey the true boy <laughs> <laughs> uh, butt up them well, the, well Kevin, you just volunteered to continue now Yes, I did. So I too have also been working on my KR uh, case and like inventorying all of my unpainted models of shame. And uh yeah, uh when I put everything together it came out to 27 trays worth of foam.
1: Oh so my. I'm, yeah. oh, wait, trays Placing trays of foam or KR cases?
0: Trays, like the individual like cardboard trays. Okay. Oh, oh, so wow. like uh, yeah. Yes, yeah, so I guess the cardboard cases. Yeah, so yeah, twenty-seven cases, but that's also for like six armies. So I'm doing like part of that now, and then I'll do part of it later when I have money again. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> lots yeah, a lot of random stuff. <laughs> yeah. And Then Richard. Uh yeah,
2: last last episode I I had mentioned that I was starting to put together some Atlanta Jackals. Uh, I finished. That one box, and then also started and, and finished a second box. Uh, and then I got, I finally got my, um, uh, Gorzag Git Stampa and, and put him together. Was that the uh, special
0: one they did like in the winter?
2: Yes. Uh huh. Okay. Yeah. I, it took a while for me to get it because I actually had ordered. Uh, the other thing that I put together, which, cause I, I wanted a, another weird boy, but they were kind of out of stock on it at the time. So I ordered those together and, and just told them to send it to me all at once. So it took a little while to get here until the weird boy was back in stock. But, and yeah, that, that's all I've done.
0: And then I got you hooked up with your new Necrons to play around with too. Ah,
2: so. uh, yes, yes, I got those. I I haven't uh, I haven't started in putting those together just yet, but uh, I'm looking forward to that.
0: Yeah, I'm curious to hear how those go together because like the the Chronomancer looks to have somewhat complex instructions, and then the again just this sp- the fiddly bits on the uh, on the flayed ones have like yeah, I like, I don't want to be the one white spindly <laughs> yeah. And that brings us to the last part of the show, which is the morale phase. And uh, I want to kind of do this one, two parts. First off, I-, I want to briefly mention the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, but we've only had one episode. So, like, I don't want to necessarily rush out and tell people it's-, it's amazingly awesome yet. But the first episode was really good. Yeah, yeah that first fight scene, like, was just amazing. <laughs> Yeah, and I don't want to spoil anything about it, but I totally did not expect the character who he was fighting against to be that character, but it was <laughs> interesting to see him again. But yeah, there's there's some interesting things going on, and uh, I'm also really digging the, uh, like, getting into Bucky's head as he's working through everything as well. And there's some yes. really neat cinematography in that episode as well, so just... I'm curious. This one's only six episodes, so it's, but the episodes are a bit longer than WandaVision episodes were, so it's gonna work out to be about the equivalent, I think, of like a five hour movie. Mm hmm. Well, and it, and it feels like this is probably gonna be a little more of a quote unquote traditional superhero story. Like there's plenty of action, there's clear antagonists. Like it, it this feels much more of the kind of standard superhero thing which isn't bad but uh it it is going to have a different feel than wandavision for sure yeah oh yeah i mean if if that one was like a weird experimental investigation on trauma and 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 how we learn to cope uh i mean this has a little bit of that too but yeah definitely more of a traditional narrative but i'm excited for it and what i've seen so far has me intrigued to keep watching so i mean that's that's really good uh, the other one I want to bring up is another TV series, and this is one. Uh, there's the first season wraps up on like March 31st, but it they've already announced that it's been picked up for a second season, and that is Resident Alien on Sci-Fi. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, I keep meaning to
2: to to watch it, but like haven't gotten it's it's on the it's at the top, really, kind of 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 the the list of stuff that I haven't gotten to yet but want to watch.
0: Oh it I when you get the chance, definitely, definitely watch it. So uh first off, it it's it's got the joy and wonder of the treasure that is Alan Tudic. Yep. Alan Tudic is a is a fantastic uh actor and if you liked his his portrayal of the robot K2SO in Star Wars Rogue One you will like his uh portrayal here because it's that same kind of not quite human awkwardness like not having a lot of use for for social mores and constructs and standards but the the basic concept and I don't want to get too much into spoiling it so like i won't talk a lot about anything beyond the first episode but basically there's this there's an alien on his way to earth for reasons and he ends up like his spaceship gets damaged i believe during a storm and he crashes near this small town in colorado near the cabin of a uh and finds his way to the cabin of this doctor who is currently like on vacate, like extended vacation from New York and he kills the doctor and takes his physical form and then studies human culture by watching a lot of TV, mostly law and order to the point where he becomes like, he thinks Jerry Orbach is the greatest human being who's ever existed. But it turns out the guy is also the, the human that he has replaced was also a doctor. And so the members of the town come to kind of hire him to be the town doctor after the town's existing doctor is found dead in his uh, office with the assumption that he was murdered. And so this ends up being one part fish out of water story, one part crime drama as people are trying to figure out. Was the doctor murdered? How was he murdered? Who did it? But also the alien is trying to find the pieces of his craft spaceship so he can complete his mission. And all of this is further complicated by, you know, obviously not just having to pass himself off as a human doctor who understands very little about human psychology or physiology, but also because of... A weird genetic quirk, there is one kid in town who can see through his molecular reconstruction that makes him look like a human and sees him as the alien he is Hmm. and runs screaming from him in the middle of the street the first time he sees him. And so the kid knows he's an alien and might tell everyone. And so, you know, like any reasonable person, would, he realizes he must kill this child seems legit. Yeah. And then there's also like slice of life stuff going on because like you get into the, the, the life and history of the doctor's assistant and there's like some dating hijinks going on. There may or may not be government agents involved because aliens and there's just a lot going on. It's a lot of fun. Like I said, we're getting near the, I think, We've watched through episode seven, I believe, and there's I think it's a ten episode season, but they've already been picked up for a, a second season. So uh highly recommended, a lot of fun. Alan Tudic is great at being obviously somebody who is it, you know, like wearing an Edgar suit, basically. <laughs> so <laughs>
2: It, now, it, have you just been catching it when it airs, or is it on some streaming service? Or
0: uh, we've been catching it on Comcast streaming, like through a cable, because it's on Sci-Fi. Is that right? Uh, it is a, 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 on Sci-Fi. I haven't found it on any other streaming services yet. We've tried to recommend it to like we tried passing along to a friend, but it's like. I think you had, like, even on Hulu, you'd have to get, like, Hulu plus live TV plus sci-fi, which ends up being, like, $100 a month or something. It's stupid. Right. Yeah. But, yeah, it's it's on sci-fi. But uh, if your cable provider, you know, has the previous episodes on On Demand, it highly recommended. And I imagine they'll replay it once the uh, first season's over. Yeah, I wish it was on more streaming platforms, but it's not yet, so think sci-fi like, sci-fi is not one of the stations going to end up being on like paramount plus or what have you so
2: mm,
0: no i don't think so if you if you have the means to watch it it is it is a lot of fun and i highly recommend
2: it yeah i should be able to get it on on demand so I'll, I'll definitely check it out
0: and that pretty much wraps up episode 234. So uh, next week, I don't think we're going to have a codex next episode. So we will probably be looking at building armies with uh, the remaining Xenos uh, start collecting boxes, which I guess we can mark Drukari off the list now. So although we will look at the the points and uh, kind of like how it stacks up with the others, which I think is pretty cool comparable to the other patrol boxes but but yeah next time we'll be looking at how to we'll finish up our series on building armies with the uh, start collecting boxes but until then from all of us here at Preferred Enemies I'm your host Rob Kevin, Dennis and Richard good night good gaming and uh, yeah Drukari pain is profitable have a good night and Cleveland rocks
1: Cleveland
2: rocks